Hey friends, thanks for joining us for the Cinemario Podcast. Just so you know, this is an adult podcast. We're grown-ups, and we do use adult language, so you are going to hear some swears. You're also going to hear two friends geek out about movies that they love in the first half of the podcast, and in the second half of the podcast, you're going to hear us get super deep talking about the psychological, spiritual, and mythological themes that we think is what the movie is really all about. If that sounds like fun, thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Cinemario Movies to Die For. That's what time travel is, is when you, as a grown-up, look back at something that you experienced as a child and go, oh my God, all that was happening the whole time and I didn't realize it. Time to change that oil, Pop. We live in a time where we're always striving for the next best thing. If the next day is not better than today, then there must be something wrong with today. This just in, three guys in their middle age talk about getting older. (laughs) (laughs) Thrilling radio here. It's a doctor. Doctor podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get your PhD in podcasting? I'm just... It's on its way. That would have been been more practical and lucrative. Welcome back to the Cinemarder Podcast. This is a podcast where we watch movies and then talk about the psychological, spiritual, and mythological themes in those movies. We are vaxxed, we are waxed, and we are ready to get back to the future! I am here. Today's a, <laughs> today's a very exciting day for me. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pumped because oh I am gosh. physically in the studio with... Oh, I'm Ryan, by the way. And I'm physically in the studio with my good pal, my co-host, Dr. Mike. Hello, Mike. Hey, Ryan. They said it couldn't happen, but here we are in person, in real life. I am shocked to be here with all of you. Uh, Wow. All of you. All of you. That's right, because we are here also, not just with Ryan, not just here by myself with all my multiple personalities, but one of our favorite people of all time, the one and only Eric Schwartz, the host of the often-plugged Evan Cynical Podcast. Thunderous applause. Thunderous applause. Yay! Uh, Our good buddy Eric Schwartz is also here in the studio with us, and I'm stoked about this because we've talked about doing this for a long time, Mm -hmm. doing a podcast cross over between Evan Cynical and Cinemartyr. Um, and what a great day to do it. Yep. I flew here through all kinds of craziness to, to sit down with the two of you. Ryan's dogs are barking yeah. in the background. Yeah. You can't hear it. Um, we checked our microphone levels. <laughs> we did not account for the dogs. We, we did, did not yeah, account so for the So they can dogs. probably hear that, but whatever. That's I don't all right. It's, it's authentic. They're celebrating with us. There How awesome is. to be Ooh, here. Like Eric, how you feeling today? <laughs> Feeling pretty good. I'm a little concerned about Ryan's intro about being waxed because that I I'm that's a lie. I'm not waxed. Should I was not told I needed to wax up before I got here. It was just a rhyme scheme. You're 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 waxed, but not waxed. I'm waxed, but not waxed. Okay, good, good to know. Could just be that you're slick (laughs) and kind of a dick. Oh Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry, that was too intense. I just went with the rhyme, man. You know I love you. I had another bit I was gonna do. I was gonna start off by saying, okay, let's start off again. Okay. Wait, we're starting again? No, no, oh, got it. I got it. Okay. Do you want me to? Do you want me to? No, no, no. no. Okay. Just, all right, okay. <laughs> hey, martyrs! Oh wait, I can't. Do that. That's <laughs> two Schwartz. Two Schwartz. Two Schwartz. Coming up with a silly little name for oh. for, for the people that like, you got I the see. Gators. You got, you got the, the. I do. Oh, that's right. I do the, like to name things. You yeah. The, you got the cynics. Cynics. Right. Cynics for cynic. Uh, uh, cinem- even cynical. Even cynical. Listen, we could be for cinemarta. We could be the sinners. Oh. <sighs> We could. 
But you gotta, you gotta. What else is in there? Say That's it with a C. You gotta say with enema. a C. Oh, we yeah. could be the enemas. The enemas. <laughs> Wait, the enemas or the enemas? Yeah, you're gonna so come you're, both. You're gonna come to Cinemarta to get a nice enema. <laughs> I like it's it. An intellectual. Actually, enema. I like that. Yeah, I do. I, it's it's I I yes, I do like to name things clearly, and I've I've often mentioned that at our church where uh, I I don't know what it is. I just have to name things. So yeah. And, and by the way, the cynics. If we, that is not my, I didn't come up with that. I mean, it's an easy one, but uh, D- Dr. Mike uh, was the one that came up with I that I came one. up with that one. Also, by the way, I just want you to know, I do faithfully listen to your podcast every you week. You both I am mm-hmm. super stoked. I, my hot streak has not been broken. I've been quoted on the podcast every single episode, and the only week that you yeah. didn't quote me was when you interviewed Matt Ando, and he quoted me. So I feel pretty good about it. I don't it. think he quoted you. I think, you know, you and I were, Ryan and I were joking earlier about your, it was just, I mean, it was just a quick thing. You were on your way up the steps. I, I, I'd said that I've known you since 1996. And they've been talking shit about me behind my back <laughs> just as long. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's no lie. Um, okay. And I had said that, you know, all the crazy, here we go, the, all the crazy shit that you sure. go through. Yeah. Like at this point, 25, 20 something years later, yeah. some of it has to be like, has to be fabricated. And then... We, we, Ryan and I both agreed that it's probably not fabricated, so we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. So you're not lying. Uh, however, there may be slight embellishment in some of your stories, which is fine. You're a storyteller, and that's and that's allowed. Exactly, and that's what I was going to say. He's a storyteller. Right. How many times have you heard give any Mike story that he's told over the years yeah. 50,000 times? Right. And there's always a little... Right. Click up. There's a little click up. I like that. And the reason why I mentioned that is because in that, in what you just said was tech, would it be technically accurate or technically inaccurate? It depends on your perspective. Matt did not quote you. He said, I think he just mentioned your name. No, he didn't. This is what he said. He talked about how evangelical Christianity is like a multi level marketing scheme. Oh, yeah, you're right. You were you're like, right. Oh, you're that's right. so good. And you're he right. said, I you're actually right. can't I take corrected. credit for that. That's, okay. that's that fair. I have to attribute to our that's good friend fair. Mike Petro. Okay, that's right. And I think in a in a in another episode, you weren't quoted. You were just mentioned by name, by first name. That's oh, it. okay, yeah. So I apologize. I'm not quoted in every episode. I mentioned. Mentioned. In every You're episode. mentioned. You're not quoted. Yeah. Because you quote yourself enough. I don't need to quote I've, you. I've been mentioned a few times, but I'm nowhere near. Yeah, but you're at the there. end. You're at the. You're at the. The closing mm, tag. Oh, that's right. I am in every you episode. Are you in are every literally in every episode. Since the beginning. Yes. He thanks you for oh, your inspiration. Specifically. And is, are, my numbers, are my numbers still holding up? Is my episode still the most popular episode? Or, Doesn't or have think I just one? Yes. I, I, I did check it a couple of weeks ago. How many downloads are you at total now? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. It doesn't. I don't think. Does Apple Podcasts tell you that? How many downloads you? It just says uh, I, uh, I, my the your, other one your podcast that. hosting Spotify software should tell you. Oh, I haven't checked that. I haven't Spotify checked, I'll check do that. Too. Spotify will do it. Yeah. Um, I will say this: it, it makes me sad. Ass. It makes me sad. You know where I'm going to go with this. This guy I think has the most listens. Okay, um, you're second. But here's the thing. God damn it. But here's the thing: you're Dude, you're here in PA. We need to use this to right? plug Cinemartyr. <laughs> That's true. You're here in PA. He's cross country, and mm. you know, and who knows? He may have used he may have used multiple devices. With yeah, different sure Apple does. IDs sure to listen to. Oh, that's to true. I, I actually just routinely have an iPhone randomly playing my podcast episode at all times just to keep the numbers. It's going on right now. 
Nice. My my favorite my favorite uh, reference on Evan uh, Cynical was when Eric interviewed my ex wife, and that's how I got mentioned. She's like, "Yeah, I used to be married to." Uh, it was perfectly Eric's respectful. Yeah. No, it was wonderful yeah, it was actually. And and I want to plug it. It was a great episode. It was a great. She episode. had a lot of really good things very, to say. Very smart. And I was um, very. Uh, I thought she handled it with extraordinary class and very tact. classy. Yeah. She's a class act. That doesn't surprise me. And we are friends, so yeah, there was for sure. You know, no uh, weirdness, but uh, yeah. I want to. I want to say this. Uh, last episode, Ryan and I recorded "Planes, Trains, and Automobiles." At the beginning of the episode, I said, "Ryan, I'm going to call it right now. This is going to be our shortest episode of all time." And I'm calling it right now. This will be our longest. This is going to be our longest episode of all time. <laughs> Probably. We're going to jump. I've made every effort to plan to make this not the longest episode, but so far, actually, the one that's the longest is the one that we haven't. Released and I haven't even oh, yeah. edited the yet. Dune episode. Oh, yeah. Dune episode. We recorded for I think three and a half hours. I love that what? episode, but it is long. There's a lot three, to talk I don't about know with what Dune. I'm going to do. It. I'm probably going to have to split it into two because it's too. It's too damn long. Is yeah, there, that's a smart move. Is there? I mean, is it good? I All haven't right, listened well, to it not, since we did it. This is not something we need to talk about yeah. on this recording. Let's get back on the rails. Here. Yeah. Sorry. So My so fault. anyway, the, all the, that's going to get the cut. idea of this was we wanted to do sort of almost a two parter. It's not you don't need to listen to the evangelical episode to listen to this one and you don't need to listen to this one to listen whatever vice versa you don't need it but But you should but we thought this would be a fun way since mike was going to be in town to get together do an episode of this podcast together and do our buddy eric's podcast um why don't we real quick eric just give the our listeners yeah a little bit of context of who you are how you know us what what your deal is and maybe a little bit about even cynical yeah so uh mike and i have known each other since, like I said earlier, 1996, I long time, long time, um, started attending his family's church back then. Um, that's when I was exposed to Christianity. And for those of you that are in the lingo, that's when I got quote unquote saved. Um, and then Ryan and I have known each other just about as long when you started attending youth group. Um, Actually, I think you started attending when Tom and Alice were leading the yes. group. Is that correct? Yeah. He might have preceded you. I don't think so. I don't think so. That would have been 15, do the math, 96. Yeah. yeah 96. So probably the same Around the year. same time, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've been, we've known each other that long, all of us, which is kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I currently pastor a small uh, church in Bethlehem, PA. And last year, I've always, I've always had a, a, a heart, I think like all of us, for those people that have been traumatized and ostracized by the evangelical church. And um, so what happened with the podcast is probably around this time last year, I had posted something on Facebook, which I do every now and again, just ask people why they don't go to church anymore. Just kind of curious. And, you know, somebody commented, said, oh, we should totally, it's actually for my very first episode, a friend of mine, Johnny, he said, this is why, and uh, we should talk about it. And, you know, he yeah. put in quotes because we, he and I had discussed doing a podcast. So decided to do um, a podcast and named it Evan Cynical, which was, came out of a conversation with mutual friends. And uh, yeah, so we are, I don't know when this episode's going to air. We're around 20 episodes in. Um, it'll probably be like 22 or 23 by the time this airs, I he's, would imagine. He's really <laughs> putting us to shame. Yeah. But again, no, we I, I want to reiterate that if you take the time yes <laughs> we have almost i think we're only an hour shy of the cumulative time is that so yeah oh I did. yeah i, I went really? through your 
iTunes and I, I added up all the hours of really? recording you have and all the hours of recording we have because our podcasts are twice as long as sure, yours. Sure, sure. So we have almost no way. Yeah. And we're 100% really? going to pass you with this episode. Yeah. yeah. Like we've been recording, we've been recording for 45 minutes already. <laughs> so minutes. we're already at 13 minutes. Yeah. One uh, thing you skipped over in that little yeah. uh, thing is that uh, you to work together for a long time. We did, oh, we yeah. did, yeah. And I worked sort of with you. I was a volunteer when right. you were the youth yes. pastor at the old church. So we all come from the same church. Yes. And we all worked together in different capacities over the yeah, years. Yeah, so the when mothership. Mike... What's that? The mothership. The mothership. When when Mike was the youth pastor, I was his, his assistant. Um, the assistant youth pastor, not assistant to the youth pastor, let's be clear. Uh, um, and then... Clarification. Yeah, and then I got hired about... Five years after uh, he was a youth pastor, and he moved into uh, a more administrative role at that church, and I was the youth pastor. So he was my boss for for a couple of years, uh, and then Ryan was my um, was my worship leader for mm-hmm. a bit. So all that to say is we have a lot of history together. Yeah, uh, there's yep. a lot of, uh... and we've all sort of to to use the the language yeah. in, in the to use the language you know we've all sort of deconstructed that yeah. and are kind of living yep. different places spiritually and probably mm-hmm. the three of us living very different places from each other but but mm-hmm. places that lend themselves to really good dialogue yes. and i will say this if you want to hear more about that and how our stories overlap, you do want to go ahead and listen to the episode of Evan Cynical that we're going to record right after mm-hmm. this one. Yes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So so this one, you. after you listen to this, if you're into that kind of thing, you can head over to Evan Cynical and listen to our uh, what we're going to do on that podcast is we're, Mike and I are going to inter- interview Eric. Yeah. So he has a chance to tell his story on his own podcast. And there's also uh, two episodes of Evan Cynical. Uh, Mike is on one and I'm on one. Yeah. So if you... Yeah, and I and I gotta say this in my episode with Eric, I do say that uh, Justinian quotes Origin, and I meant to say that Origin quotes oh, Justinian, right. having destroyed all the credibility I've ever had about anything. So sorry, sorry, listeners, for I that think massive it, I, screw up. I think with that eye roll, you should insert some sort of like sound effect that every time we roll wah, our eyes, wah, he's well, the funny thing is, he didn't have the the advantage I had when I did when I did right. your podcast, which is I made a faux pas and i'm not even gonna say what it is i made a punk rock sin and i i i'm not even gonna say what i did but i I said the wrong thing and i was so embarrassed about it that he wanted me to work on some eq things so he sent me the files and while i had the files i just cut that faux pas (laughs) out that's nice i asked i asked eric about it and he's like i'll just i'll just post a disclaimer and i was like that's fine i have like yeah because that's a lot of work editing just takes too much time but there's like five religious nerds who listen to that and they're like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about so anyway all right on onward yeah. So anyway, so today um, we're going to talk on this podcast about uh, my favorite movie of all time. So uh, we're going to talk about Back to the Future. Um, and um, right off the bat, let's do what we've been doing recently. Favorite scene in the movie. Mm. Who wants to go first? I can go first. Or, uh, you want me to go first? Yeah, okay. you go first. My, my favorite scene, hands down. I love the movie. Um, you know, I, get, I, I watched it last night and it's still captures my imagination and i still get so excited about it um but the opening scene to this movie when they're panning across all the clocks and you see all the mechanisms going and then marty walks in and you only see him from like the waist down and that you know the whole sequence leading up to the part where he strums the guitar and he gets blown back i think is one of the best openings to a movie of all time um Number one, just cinematically, I like the way it scrolls across. You see all the yeah. all the clocks. Yeah. You see that one clock where Doc is hanging from it, um, yep. from the clock tower. It's a, do you know that? I didn't know that. Wait, what? There's a clock 
at one point as it's panning across and and Doc's hanging from the clock. Shut top. up. Yeah. Oh, see, this is why I was excited to walk, yeah. to talk about this. Yeah, with it's you. right there. It's full. No way. Full view. Yeah, it's, it's right there. Really? Yeah, okay. Um, okay. But anyway, I think it's beautiful. Also, for me, I I don't know if this informed me or if it was just I had an inclination to this my whole life. But all the gadgets and all the mm, yeah. the, like the character of Doc Brown, mm. huge inspiration to me. Builder, like straight up. Yep. Um, and so like that whole scene is just so 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 exciting to me. I love it. I love it. Um, what about? You or you, you Mike? I, I will say, uh, first of all, I love that scene because it's it's perfect. I When I watched it this time, I was like, this scene is so long, mm-hmm. but it works mm-hmm. so well. They set it up so great. Um, and then I, I was saying, uh, well, before we started recording, growing up in a very conservative Christian home, we were allowed to watch the TV show Family Ties. Mm-hmm. And so I remember whenever I watched Back to the Future in that scene when Doc Brown tells Marty mm. that the clocks are set, whatever, <laughs> 25 minutes fast or something, yeah. and he realizes he's late for school, he swears. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember it was so shocking to hear him swear as a kid because I'd never heard yeah. Alex P. Keaton swear. Right. And so in my mind, like when I watch it this time, I was surprised that I involuntarily braced myself for that scene. <laughs> and all he says is damn. Yeah. But, right. it, but to me as a little kid, he, he, he like said the F word in my yeah, mind because yeah. it was so intense. But I do love that. I will also say, because I'm so uncoordinated, I love all the skateboarding in this movie. Because mm, yeah, I cannot yeah. ride a skateboard to save my life. Yeah. So I I loved seeing that this time as well, and also I was I was uh, you know prompted to reflect: was anything safe in the 1980s? <laughs> He's skateboarding behind cars. Yep. I'm thinking about like riding around on bikes without helmets. Yep. Like it, it's in, it's insanity. But all that to say, um, I'm going to sort of back you up on this one, and, and with a nod to the skateboarding, go that opening sequence is phenomenal. Yeah. Eric, what about you? Man, geez, you guys are so good at this. Um, I, I I said earlier that I think my my favorite scene, one that I will, that I never get tired of, is is the Johnny B. Good scene. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. I think it's I've always loved guitar. I'm mm-hmm. not. Yeah. You know, I've when I was a kid, I love. I always wanted to play guitar. My parents couldn't afford to get me, uh, get me lessons. So I just absolutely mm-hmm. love that. And, and knowing now, being 45, and and looking back and knowing what what guitar playing looks like mm-hmm. watching michael j fox being a legit guitar player is is yeah. just and not faking it like you could just tell he's yeah. not faking it yeah. um is just really uh i just love it it's just, i just love it and then as we were as you guys were talking there's there's another scene i think when george is about to get his arm broken by biff mm. yeah and he, and he gets yeah. the courage yeah. Yeah. and you just see him just just kind of wind up yes. and hit because well, the cinematography of that is great too. Yeah. They, yep. they, they pan the pan. camera up yep. to yes. this perspective and you see like it's a little wonky yep. like it's a little yep. bit off kilter yep. such a good hey it's beautiful. you get <laughs> your damn hands off her, her. It's yeah, just, it really and he's is just really, um, crap what's his name again Who? Crispin Glover Crispin Glover Oh, he's a lunatic. Oh, he's a he's maniac. Insane. I'm sure we'll talk about him at some yeah, point. Yeah, I, I remember seeing in a, uh, an interview he did with David Letterman when David Letterman had the Late Late Show. He's just, he's a, he's a, he's just crazy. Yeah, and I don't know that interview. I know the interview you're ref- referencing, and Same. I don't know, I have a feeling that was planned. I have a feeling yeah. that was an Andy he, Kaufman style. Probably, yeah. Gimp bit that they did. Yeah. But, but it's not wrong that he's like absolutely insane. In right. fact, the scene... We're getting ahead of ourselves here, yeah, but I, I, I think this I don't know. We if, do. I don't know if it was in the movies that made us or if it was in that Back to the Future documentary. It was probably in the movies that made us, 
when they're filming the scene where yes. where they're explaining where Marty's explaining to him what they're going to do with Lorraine to get her. Yep, he was so batshit crazy yep. that I think they literally they made a box, a box for him. Yeah, yes, yeah, so that he had to stay yeah, in this spot. Yeah, yep. they talk about that going out of frame. Yeah, yeah, insane, um, insane. It's, but I love. I mean, he's just so endearing um, oh, as a character, and and just that and and. In thinking about why I like that scene, I, I, I'm not sure, but if we dug deep, I was not a popular kid when I was mm-hmm. growing up. Yeah. I've, I've never been that person. I've yeah. always kind of been um, on the outside looking in. And so I was bullied a, a few times when I was a kid, I'm sure, as we all have. Yep. And uh, so probably I like that scene because at that point, he's no longer the underdog. Yeah. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, psychology 101 there, but yeah, those are, that, that's, that's a scene or and at least two scenes. And I was going to comment on the Johnny B. Good scene. I mean, that scene, I was thinking about this last night when we were, when I was watching it, that's, that whole sequence is so good because it's, oh my like, God. it's like the penultimate, it's like, what I love about that is there's sort of two challenges happening in this movie yep. simultaneously. Yep. It's the challenge of getting them together mm-hmm. and there's also the challenge of getting back to the future, yeah. right? Yep. And, what I love so much about this movie is you could almost stop the movie after they get back together because that scene when they yep. kiss is so big and right. awesome and yeah. great. Right. And then he plays Johnny B. Good and it's like, woo! And then yeah. you re- you forget for a second almost that, wait a minute, I still got to get back to the future. Yeah, and yeah, then you yeah, have yeah. this other second yep. great right. ending yep. to the whole thing. Which right. is- yeah, you get really two fantastic climaxes. It is really, really good. Um, your parents are going to love it. It's such a good... Um, yeah. And also, I do love right after that, I forgot. <laughs> There's a scene that he's always loved is when Doc Brown keeps checking all his watches. Yeah. And he's like, damn. <laughs> damn, damn. Damn, damn. Yes. <laughs> damn, damn. Yeah. Just, oh, I love it. I love oh, it. great movie. By the way, I can't wait to see whatever graphic you create for this episode i was i was already thinking about it and there's only one that i can think of that has three people in it i hope one of them is einstein to put our face in but we could do that i want to be the dog yeah there we could do that one yeah there is a version of the cover i think with einstein sitting in front of it but the normal one is just doc and marty with the time machine all right which i think obviously and i said this before we started recording that uh you've always reminded me michael j fox so clearly You'll have to be, you'll have I, to be Marty. You'll have to be Doc, which then leaves me as being. Is Einstein. it? Is it? No, okay, that's fair. Uh, is it because or I'm <laughs> or Ooh. Biff? Can you make him Biff? Oh man, dude, you got to make Eric Biff. Eric's definitely uh, not a Biff character. Oh no. man, uh, yeah. hello. Uh, <laughs> is it because I'm short? I don't necessarily see the Michael J. Fox thing. Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay, fair. No, I'm just kidding. No, I mean that's I true. There's, no, there's. I don't know. Remind me of Napoleon. <laughs> Have you seen the Lord of the Rings? <laughs> Have you seen the Hobbits you know in the that? Lord of the Rings? <laughs> the animated version, not the movies. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, this is great already. I'm, I'm Dar- Darby O'Gill and the Little People. That's a deep cut. No one's going to get it. Leprechauns, guys. It's leprechauns. Anyway, you were saying um, Sean Connery's in it. Though. Real quick, just in case everyone's probably seen Back to the Future, but this is a story of. A teenage guy, Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, who is inexplicably friends with a, at the time of this, oh, hold on. I got something that's going to blow your mind. You ready for this? Yeah, I, I think you, I know where you're going with this. Maria said the same thing to me. Do you know how old Christopher Lloyd was when there they it filmed is. this? There 100,000 years old. No. Tell me. When it was filmed, he was 46 years old. I, yes. I, 
I can't even. Yes. Well, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I Christopher Lloyd is like Insane. Gandalf the Gray. Yeah, he's a thousand years old, and yeah. I don't think he's ever aged. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he definitely has now. If, if you well, yeah. but if you watch, I grew up. My dad was a huge fan of the show Taxi, mm-hmm. and so uh, I know him from that. Also, by the way. My favorite comedic bit of all time is the what does a yellow light mean scene in Taxi. Have you seen that scene? No. Okay, so he's taking a driver's test with friends. This is what happens. We just veer off the... And this is why, this is why it is, his portion always is, is at least a third. When yeah. I look at the waveforms <clears throat> of, of Cinemartyr, it's just like Mike, Mike's track is just black for like 45 minutes. And then I get like one little chunk of black in the middle where I say... Oh, like, man. That's funny. Anyway, go no, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Let's hear about story. taxi. That hurts my feelings. No, it's great. Tell no, your feelings are fine. Job all right, all right listeners. Now I'm going to talk less, but I'm going to tell this story. So he goes to take a, a driver's test, and he's with someone else, and he uh, he's he he's trying to cheat. So he leans over and he's like, "Hey, what does a yellow light mean?" That's pretty good. And uh, Judd Hirsch or whoever goes, "Slow down," and he goes, "What uh-huh. does a yellow light?" <laughs> mean and he and he and he shut her she's like slow down anyway it culminates with him going what does uh yellow and so on and so forth you got to see it it's okay. absolutely brilliant it's great and, and what funny. happens is oh, his his Keep co-stars going. all start breaking character and that's what makes mm-hmm. it so great is you see his gotcha. performance is just shattering their ability to stay in character yeah absolutely fantastic you can cut that no it's fine um you know what's so funny is that i because i do i also listen to your podcast a lot and and what i do <laughs> what i do hear you say a lot is you can cut that you can cut that and i love the fact you don't hear the 50 other ones that i do, do cut. you actually do okay i was gonna ask Dude, all right you don't understand I know that you don't really you don't do much editing with your podcast. No, you yeah. pretty much put it out as yeah. is for the yeah, yeah, yeah. After I after we re- record this for three hours, yeah, I'm gonna spend. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. Probably another twelve hours editing. Oh this. my gosh! Literally, it takes me like several days of going bit by bit and cutting it. And yeah, but anyway, but back to the age thing. Well, uh, which the reason why that's significant is, is because, because you two just had birth. Well, we all had birthdays. We all this had birthdays birthday this week. week. Yeah, yeah, so this is I, a birthday episode. I, I tur- we both, tur- Mike and I both turned forty five. So and my wife is now. My wife is six months older than me. So we're, right now we're the same age. Right. So when we were sitting down, we watched the movie. I watched the movie again before for this episode. Just Mike so didn't watch That's it. why we're saying be very passive aggressive. Um, Man, I am getting so much. I'm sorry. Shit you're right. Episode. You're right. It's just so easy. All right, guys. No, how I'm, does wait, Eric? But, how does it make you feel? <laughs> empowered. Okay, um, all right, so, uh, but but Maria had pointed out. She's like, "Do you know how old he was when he when they filmed this?" And I knew where she was going. And she, it always drives her nuts when when she sees people on screen um, that are the same age that we are now. Yep. And it, which is yeah, absolutely mind blowing. In the past, I'd say maybe since I turned forty, that's sort of my new thing. Is when we're watching movies and stuff like that, I'm constantly checking IMDb, really, and 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 Wikipedia to figure out how old these actors were mm. when they did the thing, because I'm at that point now where I can see them in the future and I know how they look. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just to be clear, yeah. he looks as old as I feel. So I clearly have the opposite reaction. Like you're saying this, and I'm like, I feel you, brother. Oh, That's man. funny. Yeah. Yeah, Doc Brown. I feel the, it. The first time I had that feeling was watching Braveheart later on in life, right? So that was my favorite movie mm-hmm. when I was a 20 something year old, right? Sure. And then 
watching it later on and realizing that when Mel Gibson filmed that movie, he was he was younger yeah. than I was when I rewatched it. So he was like yep. 35, 38 years old when he watched it. And that, that blew my mind. That drove me crazy. This anyway. just in, three guys in their middle age talk about getting older. <laughs> yeah. Or you can, Thrilling radio here. Or, or, oh, or you could go see the new Matrix movie for the same effect. There, you didn't true. hear that from me. But you can cut all that. No. <laughs> All right, anyway, all right, back guys. To this story. I just want to know what the two of you think. <laughs> back to the, back to the story. Yes, the story is Marty McFly, young teenager, uh, teenage. I, I, I'm assuming he's probably like a senior or whatever. Uh, is inexplicably friends with an older, crazy, mad scientist, Doc Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd. Um, through a uh, through a weird sequence of events, he finds out that Doc Brown has created a time machine. He accidentally goes back in time. Screws up the meeting of his parents and the job he has now when he's back in time in 1955 is to get his parents back together and figure out a way to get back to the future. And that's the summation of the movie. That was good. Um, So that reminds me of something. Go for it. I want to know how you guys feel about that. (laughs) About what? About what? What do you keep saying that for? Out of the recap. Thought it was great. It was. I just, I just want to encourage you both to talk more, and I want to talk less. Oh, I see what you did there. You can talk as much as you want, Mike. No, no, no. No, this is, this is a no, safe space. It's okay. It is. It is a safe space. This is not even my podcast, and I'm taking a lot of liberties here, so I apologize. Yeah. No. Um. Okay. So here we go. Takeaway. Here we go. Let's get back into this. Yeah. What? Uh, first of all, do you guys remember when you saw this movie for the first time? Either of you, I, I, I do, but I want to hear you guys talk first. <laughs> I don't, and and it apparently this is. I know you guys talk about the enneagram from time to time. Uh, I'm an enneagram seven, so that's my personality number there. For those of that are into the enneagram, apparently it's a thing for us sevens to not remember a lot about our childhood for whatever reason. Mm. So I don't remember exactly when I saw this okay. for the first time. So that's that's this kind of a a downer there. So I apologize that it's, no, I don't. I I, have I, good I rarely answer. I rarely I, I was thinking about this leading up <clears> to this episode. Because I feel like we have this, we do this question a lot, and I, yeah. I'm, I never remember what oh, okay, I actually cool. saw. And cool, I think cool. part of it is, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money, so we just didn't go to the movies, right? A lot, right? Um, why are you smirking at me? Um, I'm just excited to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I think growing up, we a didn't go to a lot of movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and most of my movie watching, I think, came from we had a friend that would dub. Uh, VHS tapes for us, okay. uh, either from TV or he would buy like a laser disc back in the day wow. and a double okay. VHS. So we have, in fact, it's sitting right over there in a garbage bag. I got it from my parents when they moved out. Um, this I have a garbage bag of like 200 VHS tapes. No way. Um, that I've been going through to try to see if there's anything like old that I want to like convert back to digital. That's <laughs> like, amazing. Um, but yeah, I don't remember seeing this one. I okay. do remember vividly uh, seeing uh, Back to the Future 3 in the theaters. Because, oh, because by that point I was 100% hooked on it. And I remember seeing that, I believe what's this theater in Bethlehem up on the hill, like from, um, brew works. Is that the Boyd? Would that the be the Roxy or no, is that? No, that's Northampton. Oh no, you're right. Boyd, Boyd, Boyd. Yep. the Boyd theater. We went and saw me and my dad went and saw back to the future three in the theater there. That's the only one I do remember seeing in the theater. Actually, it's funny you say that. Cause I do remember seeing back to the future two oh, nice. in the theater. I was living in Tom's river, New Jersey. And I think there was a, 
there was a, a theater right there. Like there's a, a route that goes right from like the parkway all the way down to Point Pleasant or Seaside Heights. I think it's the Route 37. So for for you listeners that may know, correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, there was a theater there, and I remember that was the first time that I ever saw a um, a cliffhanger in a movie. Oh yeah, because at the end of Back to the Future Two, there's a there's a cliffhanger for Back to the Future Three. That's mm. true, and that cliffhanger didn't set us up for much great because Back to the Future Three is not a great movie in my opinion. Mm. You like so you like two better than three? Oh, way better. I mean, mm. here, it, to be perfectly honest, I have a hard time distinguishing whether Back to the Future One or Back to the Future Two is my favorite movie of all time. Really, it's a very tight race. Uh, tight race. Usually, Back to the Future One wins out. For the sole fact that it was the first, yeah, of and course. It established that world. But Back to the Future Two for me was so mind blowing when that came out, mm. and the hoverboards and the futuristic stuff, like yeah, yeah, it, yeah. like. And I every time I watch it, I still feel that even though we're now, what are we, seven years past when it when took it, place. when it yeah. took place in two thousand fifteen. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the, I, Back to the Future One and Two are great. Back to the Future Three, not a terrible movie, I yeah. don't think, but it doesn't capture the same um, mm. okay okay vibe for me, Mike. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to give you permission to speak now because I know you're holding my joke against me. Uh, so, <laughs> would you like to speak and tell us your memory of watching Back to the Future One? For I the mean, first time? I, as long as you guys both feel like you've gotten a chance to say everything, you we feel heard. Thank you. All right, I just want to make sure that any any other no, we feel heard. Go okay, for it. All right, Go good. for it, buddy. Just checking. It's all you. Uh, I I would have seen Back to the Future um, probably similar to what you said. We didn't do movies or fun. Because we were doing, <laughs> we were doing church at that point, um, but I saw it on VHS at mm. my cousin's house. Oh, nice! And I remember just loving Back yeah. to the Future, and we all loved it. Everybody mm. loved it, um, and so we would watch it over and over and over again when we were over their house. And then I did. I I think probably similarly, I might have seen the third one in the theater. So almost the same scenario. Mm -hmm. And, and the one thing I will say about that is I have massive empire strikes back syndrome with the back to the future trilogy. When I was a kid, I loved the third movie. Mm -hmm. I loved the first movie. I did not love the second movie because it was too dark. Mm. And I kind of feel the same way about star Wars. I loved star Wars. I loved return of the Jedi. I liked empire strikes back as I got older. Right. The formula inverted. Now, Empire Strikes Back may be my favorite movie of all time, and I think Back to the Future 2 is a bit of inspired genius. Yeah. But it took me probably until the last 10 years hmm. to not have it be abysmally my least favorite part of the trilogy. Wow. Yeah. That is oh, okay. legitimately surprising to me. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting about that, what you just said, if I can interject, is that I... I was thinking about this the other day because there's a there's a podcast I listen to called Rewatchables. Yeah, um, you said you like them a bunch. I, I like it a lot, and uh, they're they were doing Rocky Four. Yeah, and I remember w growing up as as a kid, I really loved Rocky Four more than mm. more than anything. And and I probably which one is that? I'm not super that's up. Ivan uh, Drago. Yeah. The, oh, okay. When yeah. Russia. Yep, yep. <clears throat> yeah. So I would break. Oh, sorry. You, I'm sorry. Right? I'm, sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry. Eric, do you want to answer which one is Rocky Four? I feel like I cut you off there. <laughs> Here no, thank you. No, I give you permission. Okay, I give you permission. Right, you, you realize I'm going to have to cut every <clears throat> single one of these things now. That uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, growing up, Rocky Four was like the movie for me. Um, but then as I got older and I started appreciating film more, the first Rocky is like, I was surprised as an adult watching, like this is a legitimate movie where, hmm. you know, after Rocky Two, they start to get a very campy. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then they become, and then, 
later and you could talk about this some other time but um yeah it's just then they start drifting again into being more film like with rocky balboa and yeah then, of course with the how many the creeds how many six, total, six eight total? depending it depends which you count what you don't so yeah i mean if you count if you count the creeds there's eight oh wow because you have two creeds there's two creeds yep and then so there's rocky one through five and then there is Rocky Balboa, which came out in the 2000s. Which okay. is brilliant, by the way. Yeah, it's a great movie compared to the other okay. three or four. Um, and then and then you have Creed 1 and 2. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I, I've seen, uh, I've probably seen Rocky 1. I definitely saw the uh, the I Will Break You I'll one. Break. one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is that, which is the one with Mr. T? That's the third three. one. Okay, I've three. seen that one. <clears throat> but yeah, I, anyway. I, but probably one time like yeah it, it definitely increasingly <laughs> like kind of swerves into comic book character territory right and what it's funny is i kind of you can cut this i kind of want to go back and watch five because i do wonder if i watch five now as a grown-up i would think they were trying to take it back towards serious territory i remember hating rocky five well i'll say this sylvester stallone has come out and said that he like he hates rocky five he okay, doesn't like enough. the way the direction went is it's a reflection of where he was in life at the time yeah um so that's why he made Rocky Balboa to kind of redeem yeah. Rocky. The Rocky Rockies. Balboa felt more right to me. Yes. We'll, yeah. we'll have Eric, like, this is legit. We'll have Eric back to talk about Rocky. I think oh, that'd be so, fun. Oh, Love nice. Rocky. Yeah. Love Rocky. Anyway. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so next question. What, what, now watching this movie, so this came out in 85. Mm -hmm. uh, this, so we are now, what is that? 30, how many years is that? 85. That's 2005, 2015. Oh, we're, we're just a few years shy of 40, 40 years. years. <laughs> so 37, right? Yeah. Um, Excuse me. Watching this movie as an adult, what does it feel like to you guys? Do you feel, did, did it still capture your imagination? Did you enjoy it? Mm -hmm. Were you bored at all? What, it, you know, what is, what were your uh, takeaways watching it this time? After you guys. <laughs> I, you know, I was thinking about this on the way up here and I think, what I the, my first thing is this is it I was I was listening to a lot of 80s music on the way up to kind of prepare mm, myself nice. but as I was yeah. thinking about this it doesn't feel like an 80s movie and I know because most of the movie takes place in the 50s mm -hmm. but it still doesn't have that feel so yeah, I, right. and that's a that's a good thing for me yeah. it 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 holds up right it 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 ages well and I think that's something as an adult I can appreciate it's like okay even even when Marty is in the 50s, mm -hmm. he's not using a lot of 80s lingo. He says heavy, but that's not, I don't even remember that being a word that people used yeah. in the 80s. So I what I appreciate about the movie is that it ages well, even in in the part in the first whatever it is 10 15 minutes that he's in the 80s, that he's in mm -hmm. 85. So I appreciate that it it doesn't feel dated. Interesting. I think I think that's something that happens uh, really well with good time travel movies or movies that move between eras. So mm. I, this is a weird thing, but I'm going to compare it to the the two different versions of Stephen King's It, mm -hmm. where you're moving from one era to another. It it allows you to be anchored in neither while appreciating both. Mm. So again, I think it's a masterpiece. Watching it as a grown up, there were a few things that I was like, "Oof, that's not." Like uh, when Strickland's talking to him in the hallway and he grabs his jacket, mm -hmm. there's so many little things. Or even like when Marty's talking to his girlfriend and the other girls walk by and he like turns and looks at yeah, them yeah, yeah. that that you're like, oh, you can't do that anymore. But it felt like a piece of a time. Mm -hmm, right? right. It felt mm -hmm. it felt like a time capsule within a time <clears throat> capsule. And I think that really, really, really gives it uh, sort of an ageless quality. Mm -hmm. And 
it's a really, really well-made movie. Yeah. It's just fantastic. Yeah. No, I, I, so again, being like my favorite movie of all time, I can watch this endlessly. I think I, at this point, there was a time in my life when I was probably in like my early twenties where like I would literally watch this movie once a week. Like wow. it was just, it was mm. constantly on. So I probably watched this movie several hundred times in my mm-hmm. life. Um, and it still like just gets me excited. There's, the, you know, the thing that, that I, I realized later in life um, uh, was when Doc Brown says, you know, if you put your mind to, to it, you can accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. Like I legitimately think that that stuck in this noodle up here and is like one of the driving forces mm-hmm. that like allowed me to That's like great. kind of always pursue my weird over the years. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Because like he was this weirdo, you know, he's yeah. a, he's a mad scientist and yep. he's sort of an outcast and, uh, Marty McFly is in his own right, sort of an outcast. Um, and they're friends and they do this great, amazing things. And like I said, I still like love the mad scientist mm-hmm. angle. Like I yeah. love that, that vibe. Um, so watch, I can watch, I'll probably watch this till I'm Christopher Lloyd's current age. <laughs> and yeah. still, um, we just watched him by the way. And there's a Amazon prime movie called the tender bar, which is oh, like a yeah, movie yeah. based on a memoir. By, ben um, yeah. Ben Affleck. <laughs> And Christopher Lloyd is the like the grandfather in that movie, and he's old. Yeah, <laughs> he's eighty three years old. How right was now. that movie, by the way? It wasn't bad. It's it's right. it's not amazing, but it, it's a nice like sort of heartwarming like uh, memoir movie. So gotcha. The acting's okay. really good. Um, it wasn't as like moving as I thought it might have been. Yeah, but it, it definitely has its moments. All right, it was, fair it enough. Was fine. It was All fine. Right, um, but that's funny because so that reminds me of speaking of age and stuff like this. A few years ago. Uh, there was over at the State Theater in Easton, there was an event where they were screening Back to the Future mm-hmm. and Christopher Lloyd was coming. So my friend right. Greg and I went to it. And uh, it was an amazing, amazing experience to be able to like watch, first of all, watch that movie on the big screen. Yeah. Um, and then also Christopher Lloyd was, you know, there. That was, yeah. Now I was in the balcony at the State Theater, which I don't know sure. if you guys have been at the State Theater yep. in a yep. while. Absolutely. But those chairs were meant for hobbits i think um me yeah yeah yeah, and it was the most uncomfortable experience of my life really so bad like we were so crammed couldn't move you know your knees are bumping up. yeah that's terrible um but then we got this they did this interview with christopher lloyd and even then that was like a few it was that like maybe six years ago or so Mm -hmm. i think and even then like you could see he was like having a hard time getting around so uh, i said to laura last night i'm like oh no like (laughs) we're getting to that I know. Yeah. The doc's going to die soon. I know. Yeah. You start prepping yourself. Speaking of which. Yes. Bob Saget. Bob Saget died. What? Yes. Last night. No. Bob Saget died. Wow. 65 years old. Found in his hotel. God. Super depressing. I, thanks, guys. <sighs> You're right. <laughs> Sorry to bring it down, but like, like that's insane. Because he was doing a podcast. It was pretty good. He was. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thanks, 2022. Jeez, first yeah. Betty White. Well, actually, Betty White was technically 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Man, it's been a hell of a year so far. <laughs> it's been 10 days. It's 2020. Well, two. I've had, yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. Oh. The sequel to 2020. No, don't so, say that. What's wrong with you? Nicely done. Well, um, yeah. No, it's been it's been a it's been a bumpy couple days. But let's continue. I want to hear what you guys have to say. <clears throat> this this, this guy. guy. I don't even, whose bright idea was it to start a podcast with this dude? It sounds. I think it was yours. It was my idea. I so okay. So I blame, I blame me. Yeah. I mean, which just, by the way, let me say this. I meant to say this earlier. I have to say, and I mean this with all my heart, and I put it in one of your in your review for your podcast. Um, probably one of the most unique podcasts out there. 
You uh, guys have. Yeah. And in a good way, right? Genre-defying. Um, Genre-defying. It, it, it is unique. And I, that reminds me, do you know how you catch a unique rabbit? <laughs> no. Unique up on it. Oh, oh boy. Gosh. Oh, wow. How do you catch Jeez. a tame rabbit? How, Ryan? Tame way. Oh God! I'm gonna. I, I have. I have. You can a, cut that. I have a friend who's addicted to dead. Do you know what I did to get here to be with you guys? Here it is. And your family. Here it is. Uh, and, oh right, my uh, family too. Yeah. So we just did an episode on planes, trains, and automobiles, and I was joking about how everything that could possibly crazy could happen on a plane could yeah. happen to me, has happened to me at some point in my life. This was new. Did I your was, hand end up in something that you thought were pillows? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's gonna happen tonight because he's staying over tonight. So uh, oh, is, yeah, is he really yeah, staying yeah. over here? We're gonna. I'm the little. I'm the little spoon today. Uh, <laughs> No, I flew through Denver, and we got delayed in the air because apparently Joe Biden was flying through Denver. So Air Force One was there. We got delayed in the air. We got delayed on the ground because the plane lost power. We got delayed at the, what do you call that? I don't know, where the gate, wherever you pull up to because the catering service was late. Then we got delayed on the ground again because of Air Force One. It was just a lot of shit. And I could go on, but I won't. I won't, because you know what I want? You want to hear from us. I want to hear from you guys. We're talking about Back to the Future. Yeah, we are. Um I'm derailed. Speaking of things that do not play out the way that they're supposed to, mm. Ryan, this is your favorite movie of all time. I remember you telling me a crazy story about some big Back to the Future event that you went oh, to. Oh, right, right. Yes, yes. Uh, so in, it would have nice. been, I think it would have been, he's a professional. You see, he, he did that. Um, he's a doctor. In, in, <laughs> doctor podcast. <laughs> <laughs> did you get your PhD in podcasting? I'm just, it, it's on its way. <laughs> That would, have been, that would have been more practical and lucrative. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, anyway. Yeah, and uh, I think it, was, it would have been 2010, I think, would be, if I'm doing the math right, would have been the 25th anniversary of Back yes. to the Future, right? Um, and so they were doing this big thing where they were doing these um, screenings all around the country mm-hmm. in, in theaters. And it was like this deal where you you bought your ticket ahead of time, and then you were going to get like a package, like uh, memorabilia, poster, like all this stuff. And there was like a whole event happening during it. And then like at our the theater we chose to go to, which was the one down, like when you're going towards Philly, like right before you get uh, the Mid County exit off the Turnpike, oh, yeah, that yeah. big theater yeah, right yeah. on your right. Yep. Um, <clears throat> they had a DeLorean that was there, and you could take pictures with it. And they had like hoverboards you could hold. So I took my nephew Micah, mm-hmm. um, and it's we kind of amazing, yeah. And we went because he would love the movie at the time too. Yeah. And my buddy Greg met us there. We got into the theater. And we were like, "I'm losing my mind." I'm like, "I've never seen it on the big screen." Yeah, like, you know. Um, and so I'm like so excited. We get in there, we sit down, and we're waiting. There was like, I forget. They had like a whole thing. It was like a whole extravaganza that they mm-hmm. were doing. And so the movie starts. It goes down. The lights. There's no previews or anything. It just sure. starts. You know, lights go down. And I think what's the first thing that happens? You, you hear the music. I think, and it comes up, and the image is backwards and no. upside down. <gasps> oh man. And I'm like, what? And now rem- remember, this is, I think, when they were starting to transition to digital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I believe, I could be wrong on this, I believe it actually was a digital thing. And w- so anyway, the movie starts, and they stop it. They start it again. It's still backwards and upside down. Oh, man. They did it, like, I think four or five times. And no then finally, way. they shut off the lights, and everyone, you can, like, you can, people are pissed yeah feel the tension these are diehard back to the future right that all all like my same age you know we're all like this is our moment to see it in the theater we're super stoked finally the lights come up somebody comes out and they're like uh we're sorry 
we can't get our equipment to work. So no. we're canceling thing now. By, <gasps> now by this point, all the and the thing that they were doing was it was only being shown. I think it was over two or three days. Maybe you had to buy your tickets in advance, and yeah. it was like one showing a day. And they were showing them all at the same time. So there was other theaters we could have gone get to, the heck but out. it was too late because we were already at that showing for the day. And so they canceled the thing. We walked out. They handed us our gift bags, and we left. And you never got to see it. Nope. And I think what it was was something. Um, <laughs> they said something about like the they. It was like a new projector or something, and they had installed some part of it wrong that was somehow inverting the entire image oh, and playing it upside geez. down. I don't know how that works, but that's what happened. It was wow. It was uh, that's so weird. Was 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 there like a near mutiny? People must have been furious. Oh, people! Oh, yeah. Like people like got really angry at first, but then what, what are you going to do? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then we all just walked out to the lobby, and they were like handing out gift bags and stuff. And I, I, I forget what all you got in the gift bag, but I definitely have a poster hanging up down in my shop. From, that story sounds like the equivalent of flying with Mike. That's it how, is. That's yeah, it was bizarre. about like that. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of when you when you're telling that story. I'm like, oh yeah, that that's how my kind of Tuesday tends to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That sucks. That's heartbreaking. It was. It was pretty heartbreaking. It was pretty heartbreaking. But I do have a good story about Back to the Future. My my one other story that I want to uh, tell here is years ago when I was touring with my band. Um, I knew that we were going to be in California, mm-hmm. and I knew back then that. Uh, you know, there was tons of these locations mm-hmm. around C- California um, where they had done all the filming. Mm-hmm. You know, not uh, aside from like the uh, the Universal Backlot or whatever, where yeah, they yeah, did the, sure. the downtown stuff. But there's all these, you know, different towns where they did the. You know, there's a church. I remember where they did the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Um, oh, no way. There's all these different locations, and so the one day when we were when we were touring back in the day, I was always the guy that was like, "Hey, there's." Uh, the world's uh, largest uh, rat or, or yeah, sculpture yeah, yeah. on the cell. Can we go check this yeah, out? Yeah, yeah. You know, because we're like touring across the country. <laughs> sure. Why not? And my bandmates were always like, no, that's stupid. We're not going. So we got to California and I was like, I, I don't care what you guys say. We're going to a Back to the Future uh, shooting location. And so we figured it out. And this is the days before the internet was great. Right. So I remember like scouring the internet for these like, you know, message boards and stuff. Somehow randomly found the address for Marty McFly's house. And we drove, I think it was like two hours out of our way. Cause wow. I told, I was like, I don't care. I'm here in California. I may never get to do this again. Yeah. We're going. Mm-hmm. And so we drove over there. We got there at like one o'clock in the morning. And no shit. It was like bizarre. It was like alternate 1985. It was very run down. The town, the, the neighborhood that it's in. It's, yeah. It's very run down. Yeah. There was legitimate like gangs on the street, like groups of gentlemen. Really? That looked not. You know, a little intimidating. Yeah. Um, mm. And we drove up and we like drove past it like once or twice. And I'm like, I have to get a picture in front of this. And they're like, this is, we can't do this. It's, first of all, it's somebody's house, right? I'm, right, sure, sure. They get, I'm sure they get this every day. Sure. And I'll, and then also there was like literally like at two ends of the street, like two groups of dudes like hanging out. And I'm like, yeah. oh. and I'm like, listen, I'm doing this. So we drove our van. And now mind you, we're driving a giant conversion van with a five by eight trailer. <laughs> Not an easy thing to park. Mm-hmm. Right. And we were also with another band at the time. So there's two giant vans driving up and down this street. (laughs) So we went down to the end of the, (laughs) where where Doc at the end of Back to the Future flies down the road. We went to that end of the street and went right and parked there. And then we bolted up the street, ran in front of the house and there was, I think 10 of us because there was two bands. Yeah. And we all just started snapping pictures (laughs) like crazy. 
And then we ran back. So I have a picture of me somewhere. Maybe if I can find it, I'll post it on our Instagram of me. That's and I, I love the it. shot is actually pretty it. great because the the um you know that the reason they chose that house was because of the power lines behind it because yeah. it, it had that sort of weird like dystopian uh, vibe to it. Right. right on. And so I have that shot. That's so awesome. Uh, w- with the, the 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 electrical tower in the background. I love it. Um, That's cool. But it, it was story. at the time I can remember being like very like legitimately moved because I was like, wait a minute, Doc Brown drove through the garbage cans right yeah, here. You know yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah. Like it was like a, a big deal for me. That's wild. And it's it's making me feel weird about where I live. Because I'm thinking in Back to the Future 2, one of the things is he goes to is it's the same home, but there's bars on the windows, right? Yeah. 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 Which is just I don't remember sort of bars being on these windows. Right. Which is like, Actually that's Jennifer's house. Ah, oh, right. puts her on the porch and then he looks and he says, I don't remember there being bars He's, on these windows. It what he does do is he sneaks into his house over the gate because the gate's locked. Right. And then he he gets into his room, but there's a there's another young lady living there. That's and right. The guy comes in with a baseball bat. Yes. Yeah. And she freaks out. Yeah. 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 So good. Uh, no, so that's good. crazy. And I, I I love that story because one of the things in Albuquerque that we have everywhere are yeah. seen like sites where they film Breaking Bad. Right. Right. Oh. And people. So that's the right. the woman who owns Walter White's house. Oh, I've heard about that. Has like a notorious war with uh, tourists and sightseers coming and taking pictures. And the main thing that is the bane of her existence is that people will routinely throw a pizza up on the roof and then take a picture of it. Oh, right. Which, of course, you could imagine she hates. Uh, My favorite coffee shop that I I hang out at all the time, there's a big Winnebago that drives by doing the Breaking Bad tour. Oh, no way. And so I'll be sitting out front drinking coffee, doing work, and all the time you see them go by and just wave. Because it's it's, uh, Java Joe's. They film the scene in Tuco's apartment where he blows it up in season mm-hmm. two they filmed that upstairs uh, so there's yeah, that yeah. my best friend grew up playing in in jesse pinkman's house when she was a kid like it's all wow, over the place wow. yeah. but you don't think about like how that makes ordinary oh, totally. people's lives miserable when people are showing imagine. up to to do crazy Jeez. shit but nonetheless i love that you did that that's fantastic that's oh, awesome. it was great it was great yeah does this does this movie take place in california I've never thought about it before. Where what is it? Hill Valley, where it is. But when yeah. the license plate falls off the Delorean in the first scene, and it was spinning, I was like, I think that's a California license yeah. plate. It's it got to be. I think so. Okay. It's got to be. Awesome. I, I, I've never Red. actually thought about that, but it's got to be. It's funny you yeah. say that because I remember watching it when I was watching two nights ago. I asked myself, I'm like, wait a minute. I assume this takes place in California, but they actually never say anything. Yeah. yeah. But the, I think I think you're right. I think the the license plate is California. Yep. Incidentally, this was the top grossing uh, release of 1985. Really? Yep. That's so cool because you. Th- I I almost assumed that it would be almost like a pop or a um, a cult classic. Um, it does feel like that, right? But I think it was actually popular when it probably because of Michael J. Fox. He he was a huge thing. Are we are we going to talk about the thing? Yeah. I don't I don't know if there's anything to say about it, but I mean, it's interesting to think about Michael J. Fox being the main draw for this film when you realize they shot a third oh, yeah. of the movie yep. without Michael J. Fox in right. it. Yeah. Which I think everybody knows now because of the movies right. that made us on Netflix. But yep. for years I had heard rumors sure. that they shot so much of the film with Christian Stoltz and then we're just Eric, like, Eric Stoltz. there it is. Thank you. And they were just like, I don't know. Christian Stoltz was a kid I went to high school with. Um, and then they, and then they were like, Hey dude, it's, it's not working out. But what I didn't know, until very recently was that Michael J. Fox was always their first choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't make it work initially. Yeah. And, and, and the story behind that is that they, they couldn't get it to work because of his shooting schedule and family ties. Right. So they got Eric Stoltz to do it. And then 
I think they talk about this in the movies that made yep. us, where they yep. talk about how even in his reading, when they were doing the readings, yep. he was seeing it as like a dark yeah. movie, yeah. Right. and that's not what they wanted at all. Yep. And then I guess when they were when they started, they finally were forced to start shooting it with him. Mm-hmm. He was acting in a very dark way, which yeah. it's interesting to me that they say that there was a third of the movie shot or whatever, but you ever you only ever see like a few yeah. Yeah. clips. Um, Tom Wilson claims uh, the guy who played Biff claims that the scene where Marty punches him in uh, yes yes in the in the cafe is still, is still Eric Stoltz. Yeah. But I also saw I think Zemeckis might have said that that's probably not true because he remembers it differently and he remembers free filming it. But who mm. knows? But Guys, it's possible time travel Mandela effect. Oh, it could be too. I was thinking that. That's what I'm saying. But but I think what's interesting to me is, and I'm going to say this, it is a dark movie. Like if you watch it. Especially, especially with the presence of Crispin Glover, and I know that they didn't even put him in the next two movies because he was so intense. Yeah, it it gets right on the line of being creepy and weird and dark, and it doesn't. Mm. Right? Yeah. So what happens is there's there's an undertone there, and they just land it so perfectly that it's quirky. Right. Yeah. And fun. Right. And you could see where just a little tip. Yeah. Right, and that's what Back to the Future does so well exactly. is they just lean into the dark component mm-hmm. of it. Um, but there's a lot of shit in it that that when you watch it, again, I'm like, oh, the, the peeping Tom thing. Like yes. when I was a kid, you're like, and now I watch it, and I'm like, Ooh, that's not Very okay. Yeah. That is not okay. Yeah. Um, but they really, I you know, I don't know if it's if it's good direction or good acting or a great soundtrack or or all of those things, and then that sort of X factor that you can't define. But it really, man. They just they get right there, and and like with such perfect balance. And, sorry, go ahead. No, the one thing I was thinking of when I was watching, and I never thought about it until two days ago. Even though I had also binged them a few months ago, is that the scene where Biff is having his way with Lorraine, like he's about to rape her. Yeah, yeah. And you don't like that is talking about being super dark. It doesn't feel dark while you're watching it. Yeah, but. It's that that's intense. Yeah, dude. Right. Just just the scene like her dresses. It's just super cringy. But yet. Yeah. I don't know what it is. There's just something about it that makes it feel. Well, it's an interesting thing because obviously this movie resonated hugely with yep. kids, with yeah. people our age. Right. Yep. And when you think about especially that scene, the, the peeping Tom scene is not great. Um, and then especially that scene with Biff, which watching it now now, granted, as a kid, you probably didn't even understand what was happening, right? Right. Um, right. But it is kind of weird to think that like kids were super into this movie, and there's literally a sexual assault happening. Yeah, on yeah, and, yeah. And I think if you know, I don't want to get us into the second half of the podcast before the time is right. But I think <laughs> that's part of why it works is because, amongst other things, it actually speaks to a component of what childhood is. Mm. Do you realize in the first few minutes of this movie, in the first few minutes of this movie, um, you have Strickland who's clearly a teacher who's abusive and an asshole. Mm. You have Biff who has who admits that he's driving drunk when he wrecks their car. Right. Right. You right. have right. Yeah, you sure. have the uncle who's in jail and does not get out. Mm-hmm. You have the mom who's clearly like an preaching, alcoholic. clearly an alcoholic, alcoholic yeah. clearly an alcoholic, clearly preaching, you know, sexual repression. Yep. You have mm. 
um, the dad whose boss, as grown-ups, is still threatening to physically beat him up. Mm. And Marty's trying to balance all this shit while also trying to, like, he's clearly come a lot further than his dad has. He's kind of cool in his own way. He's yeah. rebellious. He's doing things, but also still has that same narrative that his dad has where it's like, I don't like confrontation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take rejection. And as kids... We see all that and we're like, what a fun movie. Yeah. Because the reality is, I mean, I was in the 80s. I know you were and I think you were too. (laughs) That was also life back then and it's still life now. There's grown up heavy shit happening around you all the time and you're doing your best to construct like a fun, buoyant, childlike narrative Mm. and, and coping with this really, really heavy stuff as hard as you can. And this is why I talk more and it's all black because it's me because I say things like this Mm -hmm. and friends that's what time travel is, is when you, as a grown-up, look back at something yeah. that you experience as a child and go, oh my God, all that was happening the whole time and I didn't realize yeah. it. And now, in hindsight, it's a totally different story than yeah. I thought it was. Yeah, totally. Right? It's like the things that you that you take for granted about your parents and then you grow up and you're like, whoa, that was... Not what I yeah. thought it was. Well, yeah. Totally. And that actually brings me to a point that I wanted to make with that scene, with the scene with Biff and, and Lorraine in the car, where mm-hmm. there's, I've seen people comment on that scene that actually the, the previous scene where, where she's in the car with Michael J. Fox, with, with Marty. And there is a take where people say that Marty was going to sexually assault his mother. Mm-hmm. I've seen people, I've seen people say this. That's the whole setup is he's going to make her uncomfortable and then, and then his dad is going to come and rescue her. Right. But people are saying that it's like really fucked up because he was going to actually sexually assault her. Yeah. I would argue that that was never his intention at all because right. like you're saying in his perception, his mo- he says in the beginning of the movie, I think the woman was born a nun. Mm-hmm. Yep. She has that huge monologue in the beginning about uh, when I was your age, girls didn't call boys. They didn't sit in parked cars with boys, you know, um, when he's talking to George on uh, telling him the whole plan, George mm-hmm. says, you're going to go and touch her on her. And he's holding the bra. Yeah. And he says, no, George, God damn it. No. You know? Yeah. He never, I think in my reading of this, I think he thought that just the act of saying, I thought we could park. Yeah. She was going to freak out because right. she says, oh, I'd love to park. And he goes, what? He freaks out. Yep. So I don't think yeah, his intention no was, plan. his plan was never to even kiss her i don't think i think his plan was just to suggest that and that she was gonna freak out about it and not to mention i'm just remembering this now is that i think she says to him like marty this is not the first time i've been i've parked with a with a with a boy so talk about in his mind that's his mom who is his whole life told him like you said uh, preaching sexual repression Mm -hmm. can't even call a girl like she doesn't even want him to call jennifer you know what i mean um so in his mind his mom would never even sit in a car with a guy you know yeah um but yeah you're right like we do as we age look back especially when it comes to our parents and realize like this is one of those things where i'm realizing now like when you were a kid you thought your parents had it all together yeah Yeah. and then you realize no like Nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Nope. Right. And we're all just flying by the seat of our pants. Yeah. Yep. Like, yep. and they were Absolutely. flying by. And now when Dude. I look back, it's like, what a miracle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> I, I look back at, you know, one relative who was, who was extremely significant in my life. Uh, maybe, maybe one of the people that I've loved the most in my entire, in my entire life and one of the things I love about that person is they change so much throughout my mm. life. I remember this person being 
insane when I was younger, getting in fights in public, just crazy. And then aging into one of the most gentle, sweet, Mm -hmm. kind, enjoyable people. I look back now and I'm like, okay, there's a point in that person's life where they were an alcoholic. That person clearly had complex post-traumatic stress disorder. All this stuff did not have the benefit of therapy and, and did so much hard work to change. As a kid, though, you don't know any of that stuff. Right. You, and you also don't know how it's affecting you. Mm-hmm. That's one of the other things I love about this movie is who Marty's parents are affect him as a person. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to go back and change the narrative. Right. And he does it literally through actual time travel. But the journey of healing and growing and self-awareness is that we do it figuratively and emotionally. We mm. go back and we interpret the stories that shape us and affect us. And we get to make meaningful narratives. We get to change the story, right? My story of this particular relative at one point was very naive. And then at another point, there was disillusionment. And now it's it's this beautiful story of going, look at all the work that person mm-hmm. did yeah. to heal and learn to love well. And I think we're all on a journey with that, with our upbringing, with the people we care about. Um, but you know what? I really want to hear what you guys think. The, the question I have is this. Um, thinking about character arcs, right? And character yeah. development. Dare I say, I think the person that had the least character development, correct me if I'm wrong, is actually Marty sure. through the movies, right? Because he's always the same, right? He doesn't... Yeah, because he's living sort of apart from time. Like he's... Yeah. Well, so he's sort of always in his version of with the exception of With the exception of part three, right? Because he changes, he realizes yes. he's got a bad temper and he yep. changes. So finally in, in, in chapter three, he changes. But the first two movies, there's not a really a whole lot of character development and or I think, arc to him. I think you're really right because he goes back and everything is different and he's still the same. Right. I also think that's, I, I really like what you're saying there. I also think it's part of how personal transformation takes place is that we, we change our stories or we accept reality and then see it through a new lens. And I think what that does is it starts to change us mm. without us realizing mm, it. So good. obviously, like if, if his parents hadn't had that transformation, yeah. he couldn't have come back around to get the growth he gets at the end. Well, mm. and the thing to think about there is even their transformation, we see it in an instant right. because he skips over 30 years. Yes. True. But they had 30 years because yeah. here's the thing. It still took his dad 30 years to write that book. True. Yep. Do you yes. know what I'm saying? Yes. Like he didn't, yes. He didn't write that book well overnight. Said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well good. said. Um, good point. And that book is based on their story. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, right, like, right. Um, so yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like those things, it, it takes time, right? It takes it, a lot it, of time. It takes a lot of time. <laughs> I had, I had, uh, I don't know if I talked about this last time or not. I had, the last time I came to visit, um, I was here in Pennsylvania and I had, Fast version of a very long story is I spent time with someone who's a relative of mine who I have had conflict with. And um, and I would say like that person created a tremendous amount of grief and difficulty in my life. And in the very short time that we were together, through a very unexpected series of circumstances, that person ended up vulnerably sharing a story with me from their childhood of a very, very unbelievable loss and trauma that they Mm. had experienced. And in that moment, something like almost 15 years of interacting with that person, all of it changed. Mm. It was a completely different story because they shared this profound hurt. And yeah, I'm a firm believer that like hurting people hurt people, traumatize people, traumatize people. 
I knew when I heard this, I was like, I can never see this person the same way again. That person didn't necessarily change their uh, behavior Mm -hmm. or even go back and change things that had happened between the two of us. But there was nonetheless a retro causality there when suddenly my experience wasn't what I thought it was Mm. because I had compassion for this person and all the things that they'd been Mm. through. Um, And for as much as this is a fun movie, I think that part of the reason it stands the test of time is because it's actually showing us things like that Mm. in a fantastic scenario where you actually can go back in time and change things. Right. Yeah. The only thing we can change really is our perspective, but changing your perspective changes the world. Yeah. And I think it's really difficult, right? It takes, it's, and and I've, heard you say things like this on your on this podcast before where you know being able to see and see people through a lens of compassion yeah and even and for me i can tell you that even when you know their story it's really really difficult to get past the hurt and the pain i have somebody in my life and that that has caused me a a whole lot of pain and I think has caused some of you also Mm -hmm. a lot of frustration Mm -hmm. um and uh it's really, and I know this person more than likely has a lot of, probably has a diagnosable mental uh, condition. I mean, I'm happy to throw out a few <laughs> guesses if you want. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, and I, I still, and my, look, my whole, my whole quote unquote job is about love and compassion, yeah, right. right? And I still have a problem. And and it's probably because this person is uh, I'm related to this person, and this person just knows how to twist the knife mm-hmm. even deeper and harder. And it's so hard to get to that place of compassion, even when I'm certain there's still yep. some some diagnosable condition there. Yeah, but like Mike's saying, I think the the beauty of it is when you look at a lifetime. Yeah, time compresses the longer you get into it. I saw yep. this, it's kind of a silly thing that I saw on, on, on like a meme the other day, but yep. it kind of resonated with me. It was, it said, um, your future self is watching you right yep. now through memories. Yep. And it's very true because the older you get, like these, these scenarios with yep. your, with your loved one at the time you were in it. Right. Yep. And it's not until you're maybe decades later that yep. it compresses a little bit and you can see that as mm. sort of almost like chunks yeah. of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it's a little bit easier to wrap your head around yeah. when you have that distance. Whereas when you're in the moment, like you're talking about, it's even it, Marty's Marty's journey. It takes him, he's in 2015 and he's still, he, he got in that uh, uh, car wreck with, yeah. uh, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Flea's character. Needles. Needles. Um, you know what I mean? It takes him... A lifetime yeah. to, to, to sort of get better. You know what right, I mean? Right. Um, and he has the benefit of seeing himself do that. Like he yeah. gets yep. to go back in time and, yep. and, and witness all that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that the older you get, you can look back and that time compresses a little bit. And it's easier to wrap your head around. And it, it there's a, we're not going to get into metaphysics today, but there's a, there's a theory in Jungian psychology that the deep psyche is a little bit atemporal, right? There's a part of us that, is is lives just a tiny bit outside of linear time, which is why sometimes I don't know if you've ever had the experience of meeting someone who ends up being significant in your life, and when you first meet them, it feels almost like you're remembering them, yeah, yeah, as yeah. opposed to encountering them for the first time. Um, and I think in our most peaceful moments, and in our most centered moments, and I think in our most together moments, we do have a sense that things are going to play out even when they don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to get back in touch with that rhythm 
to know that it's going to be okay. And that's, again, the, the labyrinthine part of this story. In theory, everything's redeemed at the end of the first movie, but it's not because then you jump to the future and Marty's had this car accident and his life is going nowhere. And that's still on the other side of him going back right. and salvaging yeah. his parents. Yes. So, the, so the journey continues. It's this movement between past and future and deep past to kind of heal and become become who we're supposed to be or become the best versions of ourselves. Yeah. Um, but, but I do want to say that one of the things that's interesting is that none of us do it alone. Right. That's another big Jungian thing is that we all inherit the unlived lives of our parents. Mm. We all inherit the shadow of the generations before us. We also inherit ancestral trauma genetically, but that's too deep for today. You know, there's stuff that all of us are carrying that we got handed when we were born. Yeah, it's true. Individually, societally, collectively. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Totally. Me as a white, straight, cisgender guy, I'm carrying particular responsibilities that, you know, some of my other friends aren't. Um, complicated families. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is that we, in theory, all of us, just like Marty, in this movie, his life is so intrinsically tied up with the lives of his parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the stuff he's working out is so heavily influenced by the stuff that they failed to work out. Yeah. And so I think one of the things I wonder, because I really do want to hear from you guys, is, I mean, do you feel that? Do you feel the experience of sort of getting handed the unfinished work of your parents or your siblings or the generations before you? Like, I really, really do think that we sort of get handed baggage and told to unpack it as best we can. What do you think? How's that feel? I mean, right off the top of my head, the only thing that sort of like hints of that a little bit for me is I do know... It's the age-old thing that you know. Generationally, we always you always want your kids to have a better life than you did, right? Like you're always trying to make a better life for the next generation, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you want. And I know in my life, I was always told that I was going to be the first one to go to college. Yeah, and that was always a thing in my family, yeah. right? Because nobody had ever been to college, and it was like a big thing. So that would be you know some sort of like unfinished work, I guess, yeah. in their lives. You know, because my dad worked at a steel mill his whole life. He yeah. hated it. You know what I mean? He hated it but he went to work every day for his whole life slaving away in that place um and that was for a while uh, i think we talked about this on a previous episode where you know when i chose to end up going on tour and stuff like that there was a while in my life where i had a lot of regrets that i didn't go Mm. to college Mm. uh some of that was jealousy because i thought like oh did i screw up you know all my friends did this a i didn't get the experience of going to college b am i an idiot because now I don't have an education, all that kind of stuff. But there also was that bit of like, did I let my parents down (laughs) because this was a thing that they wanted for me, you know, to be the next evolution in the, in the the family line. Um, And I think like the good news is uh, where I'm at now, I'm pretty confident my parents know that that wouldn't have been the right path for me. You know what I mean? And I think that in a way I did fulfill, you know, that, that idea of, of, bettering the next generation or whatever, because I do feel super fulfilled in what I do in my weird life that I've chosen. You know what I mean? Um, But that was always sort of a thing in my life. I don't don't know if that is sort of what you were asking, but I mean, that's, that's where it hits me. Um, Yeah, no, spot on. What about you, Eric? Yeah, I was thinking about this when you asked it in in prep for the, for the episode. I I don't think that I carry around anything that's unfinished uh, or that I'm trying to finish things that my, my parents left unfinished, but 
I will say, and and kind of what, and why I love conversations is because I may not remember things in going into it, but then you spark something, trigger something in me. And what you said about your parents and whatnot is, I remember I, I was a terrible student. I barely graduated high school. Um, I almost didn't graduate college because I left a math class to my last semester. Hmm. And for some reason, because I'm an idiot, I chose to take statistics. I'm like statistics. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's not math. It's worse than that. <laughs> oh, it's so much worse. It's so boring. So wor- it's, it's horrible. So I almost yeah. failed that class and didn't graduate mm-hmm. college. Anyway. Um, so I was always a terrible student. And I remember when I f- when I wanted to go into ministry, right? That was not my intention. So at, at 19 is when I came to uh, embrace Christianity. And then a couple of years later is when I wanted to become a minister. Mm. And I, I kept it from my parents for a little bit. And then when they found out, they actually didn't, they were not super happy about it yeah. um, because they thought for whatever reason, and probably because of the the fact that I was a terrible student and lazy, that they thought that this was going to be, this was a lazy way out of actually having a career, right. which, you know, we were only into this Christianity thing and church going thing for a couple of years at that point. Mm. Had they known what they know now, they know that that it's, it's, you know, with all the crap that that ministers have done to them and more so unfortunately are they do to others it is definitely not you know not the 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 uh, path of least resistance um anyway that's not to bolster uh, well, all the best workaholics i know are ministers and I, I would say this: I'm not a work. I don't think I'm a workaholic. No, right? I don't think you are either. Yep. But, but. <laughs> so, Enneagram Seven. No, there you I'm go. Exactly kidding. right. So, um, all that to say that you know, going. So, my first few years as a college student, and then as a married adult, um, I think my parents were always wondering how this would turn out for me. Sure. And I come from a family that that really puts high value on on the material things. Sure. Um, when you look at my life, I'm not, I, I, you know, I like my toys. I like having my, my Apple stuff and stuff like that. I don't think I'm a materialistic person. I'm sure there's, there's a, there's an element of that. Yeah. Um, but there's people in my family that they, they're, like I said, they put high value on having the best. Right. And this is not just something in my nuclear family. This is, this goes past that and beyond that. So, you know, I think going into all of this, whether it's my parents or, you know, aunts or uncles looking at my life early on and wondering, okay, is, you know, are, is he actually successful? Because on paper, um, I'm not when you look at a paycheck, right? So now I will say this, now that I've been doing this, this for a bit, being a pastor and then being bivocational, um, you know, uh, being a pastor and also working a, a regular job, I think that now my parents have realized that they're, that I can make them proud. I am making them proud and then that I'm doing good work. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure if that answers, if there's anywhere near what you're asking. Well, because you're living your weird. Uh, they, they might yeah. want to listen to um, our ep- our X-Files episode of the podcast. <laughs> it's one of our I'll, best uh, I'll point them in that To that talk direction. about how uh, success isn't only measured in mm. finances and mm. material things. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Mike? Because I know you have a very dense family history, like in ministry and all that. There's a lot of lineage there. Was there any of yeah. that stuff with you? Were you... Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot I could say about a lot of it and I'll try to keep it concise. Uh, the college thing I feel because my dad 
had not grad. My dad started college and didn't finish. He started a bachelor's degree and wasn't able to finish it. And so I know he was immensely proud of the fact that I was the first person on his side of the family to ever mm. graduate from college. I then overshot and went to PhD. <laughs> yeah, and, a professional student. Right, right. <laughs> he's, right. He's given me shit about the PhD ever since. He's yeah. always been kind of like, told me, it's like, I just understand you just need to prove to people that you're intelligent. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. actually, that's not it. I yeah. just really like this stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, so, so, so there's that, um, you know, my, uh, you know, our listeners will know that uh, four out of my five nuclear family members were pastors at one point right mm -hmm. that's kind of what i grew up in only two of those four are still alive and that's mm -hmm. my dad and i um and so and we all made very very different choices mm -hmm. and so one of the things i am aware of is like i have to keep an eye on when i start trying to unlive my dad's life mm -hmm. or i start trying to unlive my brother's yeah, life right because yeah, yeah. my brother also a pastor no longer living took his own life made a very particular series of choices many of which i didn't agree with same with my dad i love my dad we're different people we made different choices some of which i very strongly disagree with and i i one want to be empowered to live my own life and go my own way mm -hmm but sometimes can overcorrect that I'm like trying to prove something Ooh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to do it differently to not do what he did. Or like, I'm going to hide from the spotlight because I've seen how the spotlight destroys people. Um, which is, you know, it, it's, it's work that's never done yeah. for me. It's omnipresent. It's something I have to wrestle with all the time. You know, what's interesting about that is, is, and, and I can, identify with and align with it because my my brother is a is a pastor of a multi-site church um so a church that has multiple campuses he's not the guy that that leads them all he's he he oversees one of those campuses but his his philosophy um of pastoring and churching sure um is very different than ours right uh -huh. um we the three of us no matter where we are on on you know in this faith journey or um where we've been or where we're going is you know you've talked about on this podcast a lot about i think every episode which i which i which i love about the evangelical journey and the evangelical church and stuff like that so my brother and i don't see eye to eye on those those things, right? What it means to be a pastor, what it what church looks like. Um, so what I often find myself doing yeah. is uh, overcorrecting is probably the right word, or yeah. better yet, for me, it's okay. Comparing myself to what he does and they do, and that type of church does, and then trying to do the the exact opposite yeah. and not seeing if there's any positive yeah. that they do that I choose to ignore right. that right um because I mean honestly I think 90 for and this is this is just me um and I'll own if I'm wrong but I would say from my from my perspective my opinion 98% of of what the mega church and not just his church the mega church evangelical mega church does sure is is way off base yeah um i mean i'm but, with you on that obviously. yeah and, and but what i have to be very careful with and and my wife maria is very good at keeping me in check with this is not letting my identity be so much about what i hate yeah. right yeah. yes 
Yeah, that way you're acting and not reacting. Exactly and, right. And, and exactly. The reacting, I feel that the reacting is where I get into trouble. Yeah. Um, because if you have something to prove, even mm-hmm. if what you're trying to prove is that you don't have something to prove, right? Then it's, you know, it gets it gets real problematic. Because right. what does that stuff even mean? Exactly. I had you can cut this. I had breakfast with my dad this morning because we're I'm in Pennsylvania with you guys, and we bumped into a mutual friend of ours, mm-hmm. and he was like. Hey, bud, what are you up to these days? And I was like, ah, you know, I work for an organization. I helped him write curriculum. And he's like, well, good for you. He's like, you know, you're the oldest college student I know, but gosh, good for you. Doesn't God just gives us, I guess God uses all of us in our own way. And I'm like, (laughs) oh my gosh, man, I don't know why. I know you just tried to pay me a compliment. And somehow you, I know that I know that I know that you just said that in a way that also made me feel so utterly dismissed. Yeah. Well, you know, Mike, one day you'll be a be, you'll I, be a real boy. That's <laughs> But I think for him, I'm not pastoring anymore. Yeah. And I think that's the one monolithic lens mm-hmm. he has to see yeah. things through. It's like, well, oh, look at you. Like, you're making a you're you're you live. God wants you to breathe. Uh, yeah. Anyway. I think that's the thing almost everybody struggles with, right? When you when you're trying to live your own weird, um, is like you were talking about how some people in your family may see monetary or, mm-hmm. or possessions as, as a measure of success yeah. in the world you came from, Mike, being a pastor was like the level of success. Yeah. And yep. we're always kind of fighting against these, uh, these notions that people have of us yep. and living into the thing that is authentically us. Yep. Um, and we do, like you're saying, it is a struggle to not be obsessed with that perception yep. and kind of, let it consume you and let it define you yeah. so that you are living Dude. by their terms, even though you're trying to live against their, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and if you want a good like uh, gut check on that, speaking from personal experience, go home and visit your family. Because yeah. you want to talk about try- time travel, spend sure. a, days, a few days with your family yeah. and suddenly you're 12 years old again. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. literally this person and their comment probably would have bounced off me utterly and completely without Ooh. effect had I not spent yeah. the last like yeah. three days with yeah. my family who who I love so much and yeah. they love me so much and my dad and I are just very different people there's a lot of water under that bridge and there's just we live in such different worlds there's literally no way for him to even begin to understand um where I am and what I do and I'm mm-hmm. sure you feel like that with your brother we're sure. not throwing shade at your brother but you you it's like you're similar, but you're living in utterly and completely parallel universes. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and the, and and that's that's the struggle for me, right? That's the tension mm-hmm. is that there's, it's it's like being, <laughs> if you look at careers, it's like being a an accountant versus a lawyer or something yeah. like that, or yep. or a fire fire person versus a you know a doctor, yeah. right? It's where even though on again to use this this phrase on paper it's the same job yep it is not the same job because, oh no you can be more different oh yeah and and personality wise are very different but yet every time that we, and it's rare if we're in each other's presence there's just there's yeah you go back to being a kid and you go back to <laughs> you know um, that sibling rivalry that was never resolved and yeah. talking about things that have not been resolved i think that you know certainly that is one of the the I think one of the underlying themes or or tensions in in the movie is just something that fe- something that feels unresolved, yeah. right? And that's that's something that certainly has happened in my family with myself and my brothers. That there's always going to be something that's left unresolved, and it yeah. just it always comes back to that. 
Hmm. Yeah, and man, it's um, it's an interesting thing. One of the things they don't explore in Back to the Future, but they throw on the table, which is really fun, is Marty has a brother. And that brother in the opening mm. scene of the movie is a lot more like his dad. He's right. like, you know, Marty is struggles with a lot of the same issues that he his dad has, but he's also rebelling in a different way. Mm-hmm. He's clearly more cool than his dad is. Right. Mm-hmm. He's clearly trying to do his own thing. The brother, you know, is telling dumb jokes just like the dad yep. and like yeah. it's time just, to change that oil, Pop. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And it's like, ah, 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 ah. So so I think I think our siblings carry those tensions just as much as our parents do. Mm-hmm. And I and I do wonder if some of those things sort of never go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have to go there, but like when you read through the book of Genesis, for example, mm-hmm. there are so many brothers scenarios oh, yeah. where there's two brothers that can't get along. You could almost say it's the pivotal story of the book of Genesis. And, and, it, and it turns on, I think, turning envy into love, but that's a whole other thing. Um, complicated, complicated stuff. And, and I think, I'll say this and shut up about it, I think when we cross into the realm of like Christian theology and Christian doctrine, the whole notion of original sin mm-hmm. is a very clumsy and I think very toxic attempt to point to the fact that we do inherit baggage from our ancestors. Yeah. Nobody steps in a blank slate. We all get handed something. Mm-hmm. Some of us more than others Yeah. when we step into this world. And then we got to work it out. Yeah, totally. Um, to take a swerve but we can kind of keep it in the thought of that. I just turned 45. You just turned 45. You just turned 41. 41. We all just had a birthday. Um, this is a movie about time travel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you could go back in time and change anything from your life, just having had a birthday, just having crossed into 2022, it's a new year. Would you change anything? I, I, you know, I was thinking about this after you asked it the other day and, and, my my initial response was no um for a couple of reasons well for one reason but i will say this i i i have said in the past that if i could do anything differently and it's just so it's 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 actually really um it's kind of lame but um when i graduated from moravian college which is now moravian university i did not immediately go into postgraduate work, right? I just, I went right into the workforce, whatever. And I've often said, man, I really wish I would have gone right into seminary Smart. From, yeah. from there because it took me so long to do it and life got busy. You know, you have kids and then, you know, I wasn't, whatever, it doesn't matter. So I've said that, um, in retrospect, however, mm-hmm. I will correct that and say, actually, I think I, life directed me and guided me the way it should have been because i don't know i going into seminary in my mid-30s early 30s was it was the perfect timing because i was at a point in my career at the church that we all came out of where i was miserable and i needed an oasis um and my time at seminary at moravian seminary was was that for me it was life-changing it was life it was it was not only emotionally um formative but spiritually formative so um i don't know if there's something that i would change per se but um i am a hopeless comparer in other words i look at others and wonder if what i'm doing is the right thing so not so much looking um maybe looking at the past like okay i wish i would have done that differently but you know um i i look at other 
other churches as a pastor. I'm like, and I see what they do. I'm like, oh my gosh, am I doing it wrong? Yeah. You know, so I do, I do a lot of that. I do, I don't do a whole lot of, uh, I wish I would change that. At least I, I may change my tune later on in, in the episode, but um, it's, it's more of that comparing and wondering if I'm, if I'm doing the right thing, if I'm being the right person, not unlike when Marty says, quote, what if I send in the tape and they don't like it? Yeah. I mean, what if they say I'm no good? What if they say, get out of here, kid, you got no future? I mean, I just don't think I can take that kind of rejection. <laughs> Jesus, I'm starting to sound like my old man. Yeah. You know, so so I think I do I do a lot of that where I'm not so much um Yeah, maybe maybe like Marty, afraid of failure. Um because I worry that I'm I'm I may not be doing the right thing. I, um, you know what, Eric, your comments remind me of something that I literally just learned. Mm. So years ago, I was reading some psychoanalytic studies and they were talking about envy being fear of the good. And I Mm. have never fully understood what that meant. And so one of the things that I've wrestled with for years is what is the difference between jealousy and envy? Mm. And I'm only saying this because this is where my mind goes when you talk about comparing, because I feel that so deeply. Sure. Something I just learned is that jealousy is when I see that you have something that I want. Mm. And jealousy is actually a healthier emotion and experience than envy. Because if I see that you have something that I want, Ryan has a house or a relationship or a skill set, and I wish I had it. What can happen with jealousy is that can actually motivate me to go after it. Envy is when the desire for what the other person has is unconscious. Mm. So you see something that someone has and deep down you want it, mm. but you think you can't have it hmm. because there's some type of unconscious programmed belief that you don't get to have that. Hmm. I don't get to succeed. They're not going to like my audition tape. Right, that's right, right. not going to work. Yeah. Um, I don't, that, that's not for me. Right. Like I'm 45, I'm single. I have, I, look at you, like you and Maria have such a beautiful relationship. You've been together since the Neolithic, like it's extraordinary. <laughs> it's been a long time. Right. And I could, I could look at that and say, gosh, that's amazing. I would love to have a relationship like that one day. Or I could say like, you know, um, I'm cursed. I'll never, I, I never yeah, get yeah, to yeah. have. And so what happens is because you see something that you want that you don't think you're allowed to have, mm-hmm. you feel threatened by it. Mm. And the only conscious experience is that you hate it. Mm-hmm. So I hate something because secret, it, right. you know, it's that like every parent ever at some point has had said to their kid, maybe the mean to you because the jealous of you. And you're like, okay, I don't know what accent that was. I apologize. But like, <laughs> and you're like, that's crazy, but there's something there. And so one of the things I've been trying to do is pay more conscious attention to when I compare myself to other yeah. people and then also pay attention to when I'm threatened by things that other people do, right? And do the Jungian mm. thing of my shadow work and go... Is there something that I want there? Yeah. And if so, can I do it by purpose and not by accident? And so I I can't believe I'm saying this, but apparently there's a value in turning envy into jealousy. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Sorry, that was a huge rabbit trail. No, that's good. But I love you saying that because I'm right there with you, brother. Like at 45, I still still get trapped in comparison. Um, So thanks for sharing that. You would consider going back and doing seminary right away. Ryan... I would love to hear from you. I'm really failing at what I'm trying to do here. Let you guys talk. <laughs> no. What would you go back and change if you could? Yeah. I, so I, I, you had sent this over to us over text message, and I've been mulling it over. And I think 
two things. A, if you'd asked me this question five years ago, I would have a definitive answer for it. Sure. Mm. If you ask me a year from now, maybe I would have a different answer. Yeah. Yeah. In the particular spot I am in life where I do feel pretty fulfilled Mm -hmm. and I can see, like we were talking about earlier, I can see the path that got me to where I am right now. I We've talked about this ad nauseum, but those wounds yeah. have become health-bestowing wounds to me. They, yep. They've driven me to a place where I can um, sort of enjoy that, not enjoy, that's meant not, not be the right word, yeah. but I can be grateful for that those pains that I went through yeah. or those mistakes mm-hmm. or missteps that I yeah. made. And I can see that, holy crap, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be here right now and yeah. I wouldn't yeah. have, and it's not about, and, and I'm not talking about like uh, in this like physical place, like with in this house or with this relation, in this relationship or anything like yeah. that. I'm talking about my brain, where the, where my yeah. brain is at, where I can be comfortable in saying like, you know, we've talked, I think I talked about this on your podcast, Eric, about where I'm comfortable with the my lack of certainty, where yeah. I'm actually yeah. embracing the idea that nothing is certain. Right. Um, and I don't think I would have been there I know I wouldn't have been there five years ago, sure. um, and and who knows where life will take me. Yeah. But right now, I'm I'm okay saying that I would not. Uh, I don't believe I would go back and change anything in my in my personal life. Yeah, I think that's great that like that you're able to that you've gotten to this point where you can say that. And I think that's that shows a lot of growth and and maturity because I again asking me that question just like you five years ago 10 years ago that my definitive answer would have been okay i would have done seminary earlier but i know now that that's not the case i'm glad that i did it when i did it um so and and i think i think comes with age i think it comes with just being content in your life now that doesn't doesn't mean that i'm i'm always content because as a from not being an expert on the Enneagram, but knowing myself, like there, there is, and this goes back to the comparison thing. There's there. I'm not always there. There are times where I'm not content with what I'm doing because I fall into that trap of, of comparison, jealousy, envy, whatever it is. And, and going back to something you said earlier, Mike, either my counselor, or my spiritual director has asked me when talking about my brother, like, are you, are you jealous of what he has? I'm like, no, I'm not jealous. There's nothing, there's nothing that he has that I want, but, but there's still something that's a trigger. There's something that's a hook there. And, and it is possible that it's still that, that if we talk about original sin versus ancestral sin, that there's this yep. ancestral sin in me that I'm fighting that is that materialistic, right? The monetary, the the lucrative, right. that that's like, oh, you know, people perceive him and people like him as being successful. Like that's oh look at look at him as a pastor versus Eric as a pastor. And I know that's something that's in me. Not so much that I'm comparing myself and this is where it gets kind of maybe convoluted and hopefully this makes sense. So there's a fear. So I compare myself to others more, not so much compare myself to pastors of mega churches or multi-site campus churches. I don't do that. I compare, I compare myself to other to pastors that are similar to, to my size church, right. To the yep. small community that we have, which I'm very, very content with, but where it gets really weird for me, admittedly is sometimes I'm afraid of people comparing me to, to my brother yeah. and then saying, because I, because I care about what people think about me, they, Oh, he must be better at what he does 
than Eric. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, totally. Because I wanted to ask you, do you think that what you're jealous of is not what he has, mm-hmm. but of a societal narrative right. that right. validates totally. what he right. has? Right. Exactly. Yes. For sure. Because sure. of the perception. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Because absolutely. one of the things that you do, and you live in a very, very delicate place, is as, as a minister and as a spiritual leader, and even as a podcast host, you're always living in deconstructing that narrative. Mm. Of, of mainstream evangelical Christianity. One of the things I appreciate about you is that you're able to, uh, you do what Rohr says, where you're like on the edge of the inside. Mm-hmm. I would, I still sort of consider you an evangelical, but just barely. Right. Or, or you're at least evangelical conversant. Right. That's a better way to say it. <laughs> okay. Like you can, you can speak to that world. Right. Because you keep a toe in it. And you still speak the language mm. and you can totally comfortably also criticize it yeah. and help people deconstruct. Sure. But the problem is that means you're always taking apart, apart those master narratives that validate what mm. you have. That's good. And I would say in my personal experience, the hardest, one of the hard, maybe the hardest part about the deconstruction process is not the losing of your faith or the changing of your faith or anything like that. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's knowing the perception of others. Right. You know, this is the thing that made yeah. me break down on your podcast. Yes. Is not necessarily what I was going through, but knowing what other people were thinking. Yeah. And that's, in my opinion, was one of the hardest things through my deconstruction was to get over that and yeah. stop caring about that. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And get to a place where like, I know that when I go see somebody that's from that world, from my old, you know, going to the church days. And if this comes up, it's going to be a thing yep. and it's probably going to be uncomfortable, but I don't actually care anymore right. because I know that I'm, I'm right. comfortable. And I think that was the biggest, for me, one of the hardest things mm. to go through was that perception issue that you're right. talking about. Well, right. and, and one of the things I get really grumpy about, I'm 45. And sometimes when I talk to my friends in their thirties, and if anyone's listening, I love all of you is I'll, I'll talk to them and with my friends who deconstructed evangelical Christianity. And I'm like, you got to deconstruct when the idea of deconstruction mm, was a thing. Right? Yeah. So we now have this idea of deconstruction. If you want to hear more about this, tune into Eric's episode. Maybe. We have this idea of deconstruction, which is a narrative about losing your narrative. Right. Mm-hmm. I deconstructed 15, 20 years ago, and all we had was it's backsliding. Right. So when, right, I, right. Found, when I found the idea of the dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. or I found Jung talking about sort of the creative crisis, that gave me a roadmap for not having a roadmap. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the sort of, um, even, even to, tr- to try to bring this all the way back to back to the future, I think, again, that's what I love about this movie and this trilogy is it is this weird uh, labyrinthine kind of circumambulating. I don't know if I use that word right. Uh, wow. It's that's, just it's a $20 word right there. It doesn't go in anything that even quite resembles a straight line. Yeah. Right. right. And I think that's how we do this stuff. Um, but we're always looking for the map that shows us what to do next. Yeah. Um, where are we with this? Oh, I got to answer the question. Yeah, I was just going to yeah, say yeah. you didn't you didn't answer your own question. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to answer it and then I'm going to answer it with a with a question. Um I for years I would have said in 2009 I got accepted into Union Theological Seminary, which is the seminary Columbia University in New York City, and I ended up I took some classes and I ended up choosing not to go and to go back and finish my doctoral program in California. And I, it's because I knew that if I stayed in New York City for one more year, I would be a New Yorker for the rest of my <laughs> life. And I took a different turn. 
Um, for those of you who are listening, it took me, you know, from object relations oriented Jungian psychology to archetypal Jungian psychology. Ooh, wow. right? But, uh, you know, I might say that the truth is I would change everything and I would change mm-hmm. nothing because there've been so many crossroads in mm-hmm. my life. I feel like I live at the crossroads. Yeah. When I turned 35, 10 years ago, I made a quality decision that I would never again let myself go back and think about what my life would have been if I made a different choice. Mm-hmm. I literally was like, I am going to stop doing this mm-hmm. going forward yeah. because otherwise I'll never get out of it. And this is the question I want to put to the two of you. And I would encourage our listeners to think about why do you think we obsess about, and it sounds like all three of us have said we kind of don't mm-hmm. at this point in our life, but many do and we've all been there. Why do you think we obsess about going back and changing things. If only this one thing could be different. If only I'd made this different choice. If I'd married this other person, if I'd invested my money differently, if I'd taken that other job. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if it's cultural, you know, and and I don't know. Is it cultural? Is it, is it not historical? Meaning we, we live in a time where, and, and maybe we've always been this way. We live in a time where we're always striving for, the better, right? We're always striving for the next best thing. Yeah. You know, if, if we use again, church, church context, right? The one thing about some of these churches that we criticize a lot is that they're always trying to one up the, the week before, right? Yeah. They're always hyping something. Mm-hmm. There's always something better to the be best had. Is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Um, it's you, always a new high. It, right, exactly right. So I wonder if that's why, because if, if, if the next day is not better than today, then there must be something wrong with today. And the one thing I want to tell you, Eric, is for you to be able to say that as an Enneagram 7 mm-hmm. actually shows a tr- profound amount of self-work and maturity. Because 7s are so into positivity and they struggle so much with struggle. Yeah. And so it's right. as 7, I think I think the entire evangelical church has a chronic case of being Enneagram 7 mm. or 6. Yeah. Uh, or, or the other way around. Right. Where it is, it's everything's got to be better. Yep. It's a high without a low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's a high without ever For sure. having a low. For sure. Um, so man, that's, that's a really, really good perspective. Uh, and I appreciate you sharing that. Ryan, what do you think? Well, I mean, I, I'm similar to what Eric was saying and I keep coming back to the word perspective, but I think, I think you're right. I think it's a cultural, we always have these expectations, keeping up with the Joneses, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, this idea of what the right way is. And it always is that next best thing or the whatever, the better job or the more money or the bigger car or the, or the better relationship or more kids or whatever the thing is. Yeah. And I think for a lot of folks, it's hard to just live in the moment, live in the li- in the life that you're yeah, yeah, actually yeah. living, yes, right? And absolutely. to actually take stock of uh, this is the thing that happened to me. And this, I think we talk about this on almost every episode, but it's it's the act of being comfortable with that, yeah. with with the life that's that's happening in front of you. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, in, in my mind, I think that's why we do that. Why we go back and look at things. Cause it's like, if I had done this other thing, I would be in a better place mm-hmm. where I'm living now. And the reason I answered the previous question, the way I did is because I'm actually, I would actually be more nervous of the inverse happening, yep. mm. which, which would be, I'd go back to try to change something and it would actually steer me away from the path that got me yeah, yeah, yeah. to where I am feeling content now. Yep. You know what I mean? That's yep. way more terrifying than even if I had to go back and relive Mm -hmm. those bad experiences, 
I think I can honestly say I probably would just I would do that knowing that I got to where I got. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's it's not. I know we're not talking. Well, we're, I think we'll talk about it in, in a few minutes. But it's you know it's like an Avengers Endgame. Uh, if you if you've seen it, and I think we all have. Is you know Tony. There's Tony has an opportunity. The Avengers have an opportunity to fix what went wrong, mm-hmm. but he's reluctant to do it because he's afraid that he'll lose what he already has, and rightfully so. Right? He's found redemption with his wife, and he now has a child. So he's he can he. He wants to fix everything, but not at the expense of what he has now. So that's right. what I'm reminded of with yeah, what yeah. you just said. And I'm not sure if that if that aligns with it, but that's what, what I think of. Yeah. I think so. And I think, Eric, I think you're spot on because it's a part of what we're trying to hang on to and what we're trying to let go of. I yeah. think that's where we get into the these sort of circular narratives. I think for me, the reason, and this is going to be heavy, uh, but I think the reason is because uh, one of the things I see in this movie is, believe it or not, it's fun. And there's a lot of healing and redemption at the end, but there's also a lot of hurt. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of hurt in this movie and there's a lot of hurting people. And if there's one thing I've become aware of in 2021, it's that to love well, we Mm -hmm. also have to grieve and we have to metabolize the hurts in our Mm -hmm. life. You said this earlier, we have to take our wounds we have to fully experience them and turn them into wisdom. I, I, I practice these days what one of my teachers refers to as heartfulness as opposed to mindfulness, which is being in all your feelings and mm-hmm. feeling everything that your heart has so you can digest that and turn as much of that into love. But there is no love without grief. Yeah. And where I'm going with that is uh, Kubler-Ross gave us a very simple but very useful um, uh, nudge in the general direction of how complicated grief is and that she said there were five stages of grief, mm-hmm. right? You remember it's denial, mm-hmm. anger, bargaining, sadness, and acceptance. Mm-hmm. I think wanting to relive the past mm-hmm. is the bargaining stage yes, of grief. That's good. Is we go back mm-hmm. and we retell a story and we retell a story and we retell a story because we're looking for a version of that story that we can live with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Richard Rohr, you know, says it, it, we're, we're, um, trying to forgive the past for what it is. And so many of us live our lives, ungrieved grief leaves us trapped in a fantasy of our lives being different than what they are. Yeah. Mm. And actually being willing to do that. Um, Carl Jung talks about how, he says all suffering of a soul is is a soul that's not yet found its meaning, mm. right? And so he says, eventually what we come to is what he calls a healing fiction. And he doesn't mean fiction in the sense that it's false, but we're all looking for a story that right. we can live with. We're right. all editing our life story yeah. all the time, but it's hard work. It's hard work. And I think the moment that you don't need the story to be different is the moment that the story is transformed and becomes utterly different. When you forgive Mm -hmm. reality for being what it is and you stop living in a fantasy of it being different, Mm -hmm. you know, acceptance doesn't mean approval. Uh, Forgiving reality comes with a sense of responsibility, but also a, a, a redemption of perspective. But it's hard work. Yeah. It's really, really hard work. Well, it reminds me, we've talked about this before and you just turned me on to this this daily meditation book, the, 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 what's the name? It's the Stoic. Um, oh yeah. Something, a friend of mine gave it to me for my birthday. It's like the Stoic's Guide to Life or something. I don't remember yeah, what it's, it's called. Daily meditation. And they they have uh, works of uh, Epictetus, uh, Marcus uh, Aurelius, right? Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. 
Yep, Epictetus, and, Marcus Aurelius, and Seneca. Seneca. Um, and what was great was I think yesterday they did an Epictetus quote, which he's my boy. Like mm-hmm. I got turned on. To, thank God I, I got turned on to him when I was like in my late teens, when I was like going through one of my early depression things, mm-hmm. and like literally saved my life at the time. Wow! And he in, in the quote that he said yesterday was sort of Epictetus's whole thing, which was this idea that things are going to happen around you. You can't control any of it. Yep. And the only thing you can control is the way you perceive, the way you interact with that. Yeah. The yep. way you look at it, the way you uh, let it internalize. Um, and that to me has been so life giving. And I was really, right. I was super pumped yesterday that that quote was in the book yeah. for the daily meditation because yeah. it reminded me. Um, I love it. Absolutely. And it, and it reminds me of something similar. Viktor Frankl talks about this in Man's Search for Meaning, which right. I think is one of the best books I've ever read in my sure. entire life. Everybody. It's, it's one of the greatest things written in the 20th century. And he talks about how the every freedom can be taken from someone, but the last quote. of the great human freedoms, which is to decide our attitude in any set of circumstances. Mm, yeah. And I would add to that, we get to author our own story. Yeah. And, um, and a lot of people will say that that's a perspective of privilege because it doesn't mean that we all get to choose what job we have. We don't all get to work our dream job. We don't all get to fall in love with our dream partner. We don't right. all get born in the body that we want to get born in, mm-hmm. but we get to choose how we tell our yeah, story. Right, That's good. what it boils down to. We choose how we tell our story. And so if I was going to do a full Jungian analysis of this movie, what I would say is, if you look at it like a dream, this is a story of Marty McFly realizing that the unfinished business of his parents profoundly affects his life. And so he goes back in to change the way he tells the story mm. so that he can live differently. Mm. And every one of us always have the power to do that mm. in our own lives. But I want to know how you guys feel about it. <laughs> we agree, Mike. With we agree you everything you said. I will. I, I will say this about me: is going back to the seven, and, and I appreciate your encouragement. Before, um, I will say that I, there there is a good portion of my life where I have not grown, which is my going through my own personal suffering. Right where I don't, you know, you said that a seven. Uh, how did you phrase it? Uh, when I said they struggle with struggle, they struggle with struggle, yeah. and that's that's my struggles that I struggle with struggle, and 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 you know I'm always trying to escape that struggle mm-hmm. rather than embracing it for what it is yep. that it is what it is, uh, and that there's no there there. I remember at, talking to my to my counselor once, and then also having the same conversation with my spiritual director. My counselor had said to me when I was struggling with something, she she's like, like. I think I asked, like, I, I just don't understand what the point is. What's the meaning? She's like, well, maybe there is no point. There is no meaning behind it. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? And then talking to my spiritual director, like, essentially saying, okay, make meaning out of it. So right. those two things don't have to be independent of one another, right? The first one was like, it is what it is. It's just life. Yeah. Just accept it. Right. And then the other one is like, okay, yes, it is life. Just accept it, but you can also make meaning from it. So that's where I'm at. And that's, and that's the both and where I think we all need to live, which is on the one hand, you get free of the past. And on the other hand, part of the way that you get free of the past is you take responsibility for it at the same time. Yeah. 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 It's a real, you know, and it's the responsibility to do your healing work and make meaning. Yeah. No, no. I was agreeing with you. Yeah. It's wild. It is. Um, did you have something you want to say? No, no, I can't, I just I can't wait till we get to the point of uh, to the to the if we do to the question of uh, humorous laws. Okay, of so and so this is what I want to do. Like I feel like we've got. Sorry, I know really that was deep. a hard. That no, was no, a no, hard no, no. Turn. That's exactly where I was going to go, and I apologize. Like I apologize. My office is trying to get a hold of me while we're doing that. So I'm like, but um, just very important. I know. Um, 
I totally love all this deep conversation. Um, but I absolutely have to know, like, one of the things, Eric, you already referenced Avengers Endgame. Yeah. One of the things I love about this movie and the whole trilogy is the way that they create such a captivating science of time travel and also kind of how funny it is how it gets debated later. So I remember when I watched Back to the Future 2 and Doc Brown explained that time travel creates parallel timelines. Mm It mm. blew my yeah. mind. Mm-hmm. I was so angry because it meant that there's still a timeline where nothing gets fixed. I hated it yeah. so much. And also, it's I'm like, that can't be real. Now, the idea of parallel timelines and multiverse is so that, normal. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I love in Avengers Endgame is there's that scene where uh, uh, the Hulk is explaining how time travel I works. I the whole quote here. If you're oh, no, I want it. the whole thing because I love when he goes, I'll say this, and then time? Eric, I'm going to let... Oh, yeah, you take it. I don't know how he just got so hyped all of a sudden. <laughs> Dude, I love this so much. <laughs> this is the most high energy did, I've been the whole episode. I mean, he, like, <laughs> he did say at the beginning, like, he has multiple personalities. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I... Yeah, absolutely. You're stoked, Mike. <laughs> I, 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 uh, so I love that. Oh, I like that, by the way. There's stoked, Mike, and then stoic, Mike. Yes. Oh, oh, damn. Oh, that's good. I haven't had a good parallel since they used to call me Minister Mike and Sinister, Sinister Mike. Mike. Yeah. Right. Um, Okay. Anyway, uh, I love how there's that line where he says something and then and then he's like, are you comparing, are you using Back to the Future to explain time travel? And then there's that other line where Ant-Man is like, are you saying Back to the Future is just a bunch of bullshit? Eric, you I know you have all the quotes. stole everything no, that I was going to do. Do it because what's so funny is they critique <laughs> Back to the Future on the platform that Back to the Future is. And right. you can cut all that. Eric, tell us about <laughs> how Avengers Endgame plays into so, this. So they're they're doing the whole thing where they're doing the quote unquote time heist, and Rhodey James Rhodes says this: "If we can do this, you know, go back in time. Why don't we just? It's oh my gosh, he's just so stinking funny. What is uh, what's the actor's name again? Plays Rhodey, um, Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. He's just brilliant. And he goes, why don't we just find baby Thanos and you know, and then he does the strangulation yeah. thing. So funny. And then Hulk goes, okay, first of all, that's horrible. Rhodey says, it's Thanos. And then Hulk says, and secondly, time doesn't work that way. Changing the past doesn't change the future. And then Scott Lang yeah. says, we go back. We get the stones before Thanos gets them. Thanos doesn't have the stones. Problem solved. Clint Barton, bingo. Nebula, that's not how it works. Clint Barton, well, that's what I heard. Hulk, who told you that? Rhodey, Star Trek, Terminator, Time Cop, Time After Time, Scott Lang, <laughs> Quantum Leap. Rhodey, A Wrinkle in Time, Somewhere in Time, Scott Lang, Hot Tub Time Machine. Rhodey, Hot Tub Time Machine, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, basically any movie that deals with time travel. Scott, this is so great. Scott Lang, Die Hard? No, that's not one. <laughs> <laughs> Rhodey, oh, this is a great line too. Look, this is known. Hulk, I don't know why everyone believes that, but this that isn't true. Think about it. If you go into the past, that past becomes your future, and your former present becomes the past, which can't now be changed by your new future. Nebula, exactly. Scott Lang, so back to the future's a bunch of bullshit? <laughs> it's so, One of my favorite scenes. It's so perfect, and ironically enough, am I wrong about this? It's actually what they're describing is similar to how time travel works in back to the future two not necessarily in back to the future one but where you just keep creating branch timelines instead Mm. of yeah i mean changing things i would argue i mean i i believe in the back to the future world it's working the same way in back to the future one because there is in my opinion a timeline where marty just no longer exists right 
You know what I mean? Like he's just not there anymore because he has gone back and created yes. an alternate universe. Yep. And now he just is apparently disappeared from that timeline. Right. 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 Man, that's depressing. You know, it's funny you say that because I was thinking about this and I had a note and then I realized that it it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but it, it aligns with what you just said is that even in the first one, like I was thinking about this as I was watching because I was thinking, you know, I often, I never really thought deeply about this movie, but in preparing for the for this episode i was and i was thinking well what what's the what's the big deal why does he have to get what's the whole point of getting back to the future he's already going to be there if, if if he doesn't go back but the problem with that is and i realized my idiocy in that is that at some point in that timeline people will just say oh my god my kid just disappeared yeah. Right. Because he leaves at this point in history and then his, his, his parents and his family just move forward right. and are like, okay, where did Marty go? Now he I will say, I don't think they, they're not saying that in back to the future one. I right. think what they are saying in back to the future one is he fixed everything. He's coming back to the same timeline and he fixed it. Right. 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 But uh, I would agree with you. I think based on what doc Brown explains in back to the future two, Back to the Future 1, Marty goes back, creates an alternate timeline, and the original timeline, he's just no longer there. He disappears. Right. Wow. Right. That's crazy. I which think is, we, which I think, is a very sad world. I think we just ruined the movie. Because, for me. because for me. not only is everybody still like depressing, but now they've just inexplicably lost a child, like, poof, gone. Mm. Jeez. Jailbird Joey is still in jail. Wow. This is, we just crossed into the darkest timeline. We did. We ruined the movie. Do I remember correctly? This is, might be a tangent, but I remember the time travel that they did in the movie Looper. I have that. I have a quote here. Really interesting. Eric, go, man. Go. I, so go ahead. No, I don't remember the movie. I just remember when I watched it thinking this might be the best sort of interpretation of what it might look like. Yeah, and and I don't know, I don't have a whole lot of details on that, but it, what what it brought to mind was this and and maybe we can we can expand on it cuz I actually just did watch that movie the other day. Um going back to Marty real quick. This is the note they made. If Marty's past changes after he changes or fixes the past, why doesn't he or can't he remember? So when he goes back to the future and his parents are, you know, they're cool, they're thin, they're successful, the house is different. He walks in, he wakes up, and he's like, and he's shocked, right? Mm-hmm. So my question was, is why doesn't he remember that, right? Because in Looper, there's a good, for me, at least for me, there's a good fix for this problem. When young Bruce Willis, who's played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, when, when Bruce Willis comes to the past and they start changing things, Bruce Willis, you can see he actually has pain, physically painful memories. So things that are happening in his past to him that he's changing and that Joseph Gordon, Joseph Gordon Levitt is changing. Bruce Willis as an older man is remembering right. what changed. So my, my, that's just a little paradox. Sorry, I'm, what, what paradox are you talking about here with, with Marty not remembering? What do you mean he doesn't remember? So in other words, when he, go ahead. No, in the second one? No, in the first one, when okay. he goes, when he goes, when yes, he comes back, you're right. You're when right. he comes back to his present timeline, yes. right? right? So 1985, he wakes up. He's first, he thinks it's a dream, right? And then he walks out into the living room and he's shocked to see everything different. Okay. Right. But if he, I mean, we're getting too, too, too far in the weeds here. If he, if he changes the past, right. Oh, I think you're seeing a totally different read of that than I am. Okay. I I don't think, I don't think he's surprised that. He falls over. Right. I don't think he realizes how much he affected the past. 
It's not that he doesn't remember going to the past. No, no, no. no not no, that no. he doesn't remember. He's the past. saying the whole world, his whole world has changed, but he doesn't remember it. And so that's the other crazy thing is Marty will go through the rest of that timeline with no memory of how he got of how, what his family was actually like because he changed his parents both their personalities and their marriage and their career and his brother and his sister and he comes back with the memories of the old timeline right exactly whereas in looper it's crazy because he'll remember and, and i'm assuming that bruce willis both, both remembers the original past and yep. then the new past oh you're saying he doesn't remember the life that he would have lived in that correct new time. exactly exactly okay. sorry I yeah maybe sorry, I, I was like was like what does he not remember I don't get it no no sorry yeah it probably wasn't clear the way I was explaining it no 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 I, I got it I, I, I got what you're I saying I catch up what you're saying now that okay that is something I I'd actually never thought about yeah neither had I but thank you Cinemarter and for also me so so in a perfect world he would remember both right exactly both lives or, correct or was there a different Marty that did have those memories that he destroyed by entering that universe. Oh my God. <laughs> Jeez. It is, this is a dark which, movie. Which goes back to time, which goes to Time Cop, because Time, time Cop, Cop is a terrible, it's a great right. action movie, but it's yep. a terrible, I think, uh, time travel movie where if, have you seen Time Cop with Jean-Claude Probably Van Damme? Probably a long, long, long time so ago. So there's one thing that, that you can't do that two, how did they phrase it? Like two, Two pieces of matter can't occupy the same right. space. Yeah, you'll destroy the, the universe. Too. Right. You can't see your future self because right. you could destroy the universe. It's like Correct. crossing yes. the streams. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, ghost- yeah. It's like crossing the streams in Ghostbusters. Yeah. It could unravel reality or just not. Right. We don't know. Exactly. Um wow, time travel's confusing. And I think I think there is a, a, a portion of it that is sort of like a like, okay, don't think too hard about it, because it's a fairy tale. But also, this is a dark movie. Yeah. It can be a dark movie. Which See? is why they got rid of Eric Stoltz. Man, now you're making me think of that <laughs> that that alternate Marty who doesn't exist anymore. Who, well, no, the one that you're talking about that doesn't remember. He doesn't remember the life that he altered, right? Growing up, because technically, he should. I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. He got cheated of all that, but it's a bit better than what he had. He came back, but it's that. But he doesn't know that it's better than what he. I mean, he. But, well, he knows that it's better. Like, but from his point of the, the current point of view he looks at what he physically sees which is oh look at this beautiful house that i have and look at my parents they're so cool and so thin and now i have this brand new truck new girlfriend too but he doesn't, oh no wait he doesn't know how he got the truck he right. hasn't actually lived that life correct right so he doesn't he doesn't know maybe maybe his life was worse yeah but somebody lived that life so this right. is a paradox and i didn't even think about that it's, part it's so um it's so wild man he's he's <laughs> which been, is why time travel can't he's exist. been exactly. Set free, but into what? And I never considered that the first scene where they throw the cake on the table and they talk about Uncle Jailbird Joey. Yeah. That's that's a metaphor for all of them. They're all trapped. Ooh. They're all trapped. And Marty, does he <laughs> set trapped. them free? I mean, what's what's going on here? Wow. Get used to these bars, kid. I love that scene. <laughs> yeah. Also, he doesn't get any redemption. He's the one character that they're just like, oh, you can't see me. Yeah. He's he, there's nothing for him. Yeah. Right? I don't think they ever address that in any of the movies. Yeah. They. I don't. I don't believe they ever address Jailbird Joey later. I'm gonna say. I don't think so. Here's yeah. here's a hot take. Jailbird Joey actually got out of jail years ago. He's been living under an alias <laughs> for decades, an assumed name called Doc Brown. Whoa! <laughs> and that's why he and Marty are friends. Doc Brown is. Oh no, that's not possible. Never mind. It totally makes no sense. Wow. 
I think I think we've we've exhausted all. So yeah. Richard Rohr says that the greatest <laughs> wound that afflicts our society is the father wound, in that men don't know how to be fathers and we don't know how to relate to our fathers. Mm-hmm. Freud said that the greatest wound that afflicts society is the Oedipal complex, which is that we come into this world. People think the Oedipal complex is about having sex with your mom. It's <laughs> not. I mean, for Marty, it was. Although it's the most edible movie of all time. What it's really about is that we come into this world and the first thing that happens is we want to compete with our siblings and with our father for the attention of our mother. We come into this world. This is even what patriarchy is being taught that competition is the rule of reality and that if. I want to have something good, I have to take it away from you. Mm, mm. And then the great task, I think, of humanity is shifting from scarcity to abundance, going from competition to cooperation. Mm. Um, so we don't have time to get into this. Definitely most Oedipal Freudian movie of all time. <laughs> wow. Um, Marty learns to share his mom with his dad, and the whole world is made better. Uh, and all of us are learning that there's enough love to go around. <laughs> I just use time travel to retroactively insert that into the narrative. Wow. That was good. I, I think. I don't even know. But you know what I want to know? What do you guys think? <laughs> I can't with him sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> guys, this was fun. Yeah. This what was a, what, is there anything else you guys want to talk about? Back to the future? Any other? No, hot takes? I think we nailed it. And we didn't, I know you had mentioned Looper. I know I only mentioned one aspect of it. So I, maybe that's just a conversation for another time. But, but yeah, I, I, I don't see a whole lot of paradoxes with the movie Looper. Um, yeah, I remember watching that and thinking, oh, they're actually doing this in a way that seems way more plausible than anything else that yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Closing the loop. That's Closing, the whole point. Right. Really nicely Especially done. Especially at the end. Yeah. So not yeah. spoil it for me. I guess it's been out for a number of years. So Go see Looper. Go see Looper. Uh, favorite time travel movie of all time, Looper? Ooh. I would say at this point, yeah, because I think it's the one with the least amount of paradoxes and holes. Um, Endgame, close second. Nice, um, but I think I think there's still there's still some holes there, especially when Cap goes back. Uh, yeah, they've never explained that. No, I mean it's Back to the Future. I don't Has care about the paradoxes, and I don't yeah. remember Marvel. I don't. I, I've seen Endgame probably yeah. two times. Yeah, I yeah. I've gone over this. I can't keep track, so I don't. It's all right. It's all good. And Looper, I do remember liking, but I don't remember it. And I don't think I only saw it one time. But it's good. It's it's. I think it's on Netflix now, so it's worth a, yeah. a re yeah. a revisit. I had to watch Back to the Future with commercials last night. Oh, oh, oh dude, yeah, because it on used Hulu? To, it was on. No, I think it was on Hulu. Norm like the the subscription, which I do have. <clears throat> yeah, but they took it off, and now you have to have like the premium thing or whatever. Yeah, and then the only way we got it was we used Laura's mom's login for TNT. Oh no way! And uh, sorry, I'm getting a phone call. And uh, me. when you use those cable, uh, when you use those cable streaming services, they put commercials yeah, in. Yeah, so yeah, I had yeah. To watch back to, and I have the thing on Blu-ray, but I don't have a Blu-ray player upstairs. Uh, and I was like, ah, so yeah, yeah, I had to watch it on on had to like uh, on Blu-ray the 25th anniversary I have version. One. I have like four different versions of these movies. All of them. I would imagine. Are they edited differently, or it's just? More bonus content. The, yeah. the last one, the the 25th anniversary one, I think had the most that I've ever seen. It had a lot of behind the scenes stuff, a lot okay. of bloopers out. Have to go back and watch it. Um, but there's been no director's cut or anything, right? I mean, no, this is a near always, perfect movie. You don't yeah. need to change anything. No, exactly. That, yeah, no, it's never okay. been. I, I can't believe they haven't. This goes back to something you said before that they haven't done like release an Eric Stoltz. That's cut. it. That's it. 
Eric Stoltz lived his other life? Eric Stoltz lived his other life. Uh, oh, my God. But, okay, don't yell. But what, hap- what happened to Eric Stoltz my, when he came back? Exactly what happened in real life. He was edited out of it. My mind is blown. You're welcome. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. There's that Eric Stoltz that played, you know, in some kind of wonderful and... They could Pulp Fiction. do such a dark version of this where you see like Eric Stoltz and he like fades away as Michael J. Fox comes in. Oh, to that could be place. the answer to it. There was another Marty living that Play- life in the time, but he fades away. That's what I'm saying. And it's Eric Stoltz for some reason. Exactly. Because it also always begs the question. This is the one question that people always ask about Back to the Future, which we didn't talk about. How do Marty's parents not remember meeting Marty? Marty being him, yeah, as a teenager, being named Marty. They named yes. their kid Marty, <laughs> their third kid Marty. Right. This was what I was thinking about. Like this is, and this I think would ch- should have changed is they they say when Marty leaves them at the high school after the dance, they say uh, Lorraine says Marty, what a great name. Yeah. So you would think It'd be the first kid. It would be the first kid. So I say what should have happened is that the old what what's the older brother's name? Oh. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Um that guy's name should have been Marty and then Marty should have been somebody well, else. Well, and I and I but I'm I'm in on this and I know we gotta wrap this up, right? So here's my closing thought. I totally ascribe to the Eric Stoltz is the Marty version that disappeared because my number one beef with this movie has always been that Marty starts out too cool. Yeah, but his mom was cool. Oh, you're right. He had like the genetic leftover yes. of her being cool. Yeah. Nurture versus nature. In this case, nature. Versus nurture. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah, I've, I've thought about that. I'm like, right. okay, why is he so cool? Because his mom she was, was cool. cool and popular. But we also don't actually a... know that he was cool. True. That's He's a good getting... point. He, he seemed... rides a skateboard. He wears a life preserver. <laughs> With the, I was going to wear my orange. But his band though. doesn't make it into the competition. Because they're too loud. They're too cool to succeed. You're in punk rock. You should know this. Actually, I have literally <laughs> maybe, no idea if that maybe, matters. Maybe you're right. <laughs> be right. I, think, I, think, I think the implication is, is that he's cooler than his, than his parents. Just oh, yeah, by yeah, yeah. His, I, his personality, and he's got a good-looking girlfriend and stuff like that, and he, he doesn't take any shit from But his from only Strickland. friend... A, but his only friend is, That's a, true is, too. A, is a crazy mad scientist. But we don't know it's his only friend. No, because he says his parents think right? he's going to go camping with the fellas, which yes. means he has other friends. Well, maybe it's just his four other bandmates and they're all outcasts like I was. I was in a Ooh. band and I wasn't cool. Oh, dang. I wasn't cool and this, I wasn't even in a band. This whole... <laughs> who, okay, stop. Who was the most uncool out of the three of us? Like, this is a competition. I want to know who Ooh. was the most uncool. Me. No, I'm, I was the most uncool. <laughs> no, I was. No, I was. <laughs> Guys, does that make you mid- know what this world needs? More podcasts with guys in their mid forties talking about <laughs> how uncool they were. Pissing contests. About were you ever? Cool. Did anybody ever push you over? Like bullied number one, and then pushed you over in the playground when somebody got on all fours right behind you and you fell right over them. Oh no, I never had that. Happen. That happened to me. Wow. I mean, I, I, I win. I definitely got the crap beat out of me by bullies a few times. Hmm. I was never punched by a bully, so that's. Oh, are you that. kidding me? I was punched in the back of the head by somebody. I, I, my basically what my what my family taught me was like if someone bullies you, even if they beat the living shit out of you, make them earn it. Hmm. So I was in enough fights that people just it wasn't. It was like if you don't want to get your clothes wrinkled, don't pick on that guy. But mm. I, I lost almost all of them. 
Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't even cool enough to to get into a fight. So no, I was uncool enough. No, I was so uncool that people were like, "I'm not even going to bother them. I'm just going to push them over." Yeah, that's. I'm sorry that that happened to you. Thank you. You know what I will say real quick, just to wrap this up here. The one funny thing about this movie that I kind of don't like now, oh, is the fact that it plays into this narrative of because Biff was a bad guy when he was younger, and now history has been altered. He now is at a lower status level, sort of. He's interesting. I would have older Ryan would have loved to see everybody mature and get redeemed and get redeemed. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you an alternate read on that. I would have preferred that, too. I would have loved to see Biff get redeemed or if we were going realistic and and Biff uh, stays bad. I would have loved to see Biff just as the president of the United States of America. (laughs) Wow. Look at Back to the Future, too. He's what is he is the mayor? Are no, really? he's he's Donald Trump. He's Donald Trump. I mean, he has <clears throat> his it's it's uh, Tannen Tower or Biff Tower. Or what is? Oh my god! Uh, yeah, something I don't remember. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's Donald Trump in that movie. Totally, totally. So, um, proof. It's not Back to the Future that's dark. It's the timeline that we're living in. So we're all living in Back to the Future too right now. We're in alternate 1985. <sighs> this point where the timeline skewed in this alternate reality. <laughs> All right, somebody, somebody, Eric, you're a seven. You're an Enneagram seven. Yeah. End us on a high note. End us on a high note. That's a lot of pressure. I can end us on a high Please note. Please do. Oh, and everybody, be sure to hear this conversation oh, continue yeah. in the next episode of the Evan Cynical Podcast. Uh, he just stole it, didn't he? Damn it. You know what I'd like to hear, Ryan? What do you think? <laughs> this guy. This guy. No, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, this has been a joy. This yes. has been a lot of fun talking about this so movie. Much fun. Uh, and we actually kept it tighter than i thought it was going to be really um yeah we're at 220 right now and cutting out like maybe 20 minutes of bullshit and mike saying i want to hear what you guys want to hear i really want you guys to leave that in um (laughs) but but yeah if you're interested uh to hear us talk some more we're going to be on the event cynical podcast after this yeah i'm I'm super excited about that and and uh yeah i'm looking forward to that conversation we're gonna be doing something different um because 20 episodes 20 two episodes of me interviewing other people and you guys have done me the courtesy of asking to interview me. So I'm looking forward to your questions about my oh, and I got some because, uneventful life. Because the theme of that episode is I want to hear what you think. <laughs> nice. Wow. wow. He brought it back full circle. Again, a doctor for a reason. Okay. <laughs> doctor. He's got his doctorate in podcasting. He's got his doctorate in podcasting. Yeah, but, Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. This has been great. Check us out at Cinemartyr Pod on Instagram. And uh, thank you, Dr. Mike, Dr. Pod, and uh, our old pal, Eric. Uh, I love you guys both. And uh, audience members, I just want to go out on this note. I really want to hear what you think. So if you want to go ahead and Ooh. give us some ratings and reviews, we would really, really, really appreciate it. That was good. That was a good segue. Cool. All right. See ya. We did it. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.